0: Welcome to the 271st episode of the Random Podcast from Heck. My name is Tony. This is the podcast about random things in the world of entertainment, which includes movies, TV shows, and comic books. Big shout out to Dave McPhail and Andrew Logan. They are big supporters of the show. You can be a supporter by going to patreon.com from Heck. Any amount you can commit to will be awesome if you commit at the Rick Jones tier or higher, you get access to the secret podcast from Heck, which is an additional thirty minutes of podcast entertainment every single week. Uh, what I just recently went back to, nineteen eighty four, Fantastic Four, John Byrne, She Hulk on a team, just seeing like reliving those moments. It's been a while since I've read those, so you can hear about that. And sometimes I talk about movies. Sometimes I just do random off my mind topics every week. <laughs> so check it out. But if you can't commit to a monthly commitment, you can also help out by going to coffeecom ficom slash gmanfromheck and you can buy me a virtual cup of coffee or three. And that is ko-fi.com slash gmanfromheck. One of the things I've noticed lately, sometimes when I talk, I don't know if I'm, I'm talking too fast, but it's like I'm, I'm skipping letters in my words. Is, is, am I having... Like, I don't know if something's going on with me. Anyways, what is happening this week? There's a I didn't go to the movies again. This is like two weeks in a row, which is just kind of weird. There's uh, th- something came out. There's nothing really big that opened. I'm trying to think. what. Oh, I know what I'm thinking. is en- Enola, Enola Holmes 2 came out. I don't know if I'm going to watch that. But that's not going to be covered in, th- in this week's episode. The f- main feature, in quotes, is going to be Titans. So Titans is back, season four. Two episodes dropped on HBO Max. So every Thursday you can watch that i have a feeling this is gonna be the last season we'll, we'll have to see um and so far i'm gonna say i kind of like the first two episodes so we'll go with that uh we also have the peripheral uh the third episode so i'm gonna be like a week behind so the fourth episode is out now you can watch that or you can just wait watch it when you can uh we're gonna have more star wars Andor, <laughs> star girl chucky and uh surprisingly i found this out last minute there was a uh Rick and Morty Extra. So they do these extras, which are always kind of weird. I don't know how I feel about them, but you can, there's a, a claymation episode. It was really weird. But along with that, we also have some news. So kind of big news, a lot of people should be excited about this, is Sandman Season 2 is now official. So it, I it, I don't understand how this stuff works, and, and it's not my job. I don't I don't need to know how it works. But it seemed like people liked it, you know. It, it got good ratings, good reviews. It was, uh, you know, popular and whatever the top show and whatever Netflix's top ten thing when you log into Netflix. But it wasn't confirmed right away. And one of the things I think I think Neil Gaiman said it or someone said it that part of the issue is they were looking at numbers, and it it seems that people weren't necessarily immediately binging all the episodes all at once. And, you know, maybe they were savoring the episodes, you know, they didn't want to just like be done in a day and then, you know, you're then you got to wait or maybe it's a different type of, I, I don't know what the answer is. And I, I'm i not going to go into my thoughts on Netflix's dropping all episodes. I, I think it would be amazing. I, I really think they should experiment with that. I don't know if people would, be in an uproar if all of a sudden Netflix decided to do like weekly stuff because they're so used to, you know, I'm sure everyone on Netflix or the majority of people on Netflix are used to binging. So I don't know how they would feel about not having everything drop at once. I I guess in other countries, because I think it was, and I could be wrong. I I think I remember reading like Riverdale in the UK or somewhere, like some other country outside the U S where they would, Get new episodes of Riverdale through Netflix. So I'd imagine they would have to do it like week by week. You know, in the U.S., we have have had have the CW. I I don't know, but so season two of Sandman is coming. When is it coming? I don't know. How many episodes are going to be? I don't know. (laughs) None of that stuff has been. we're getting more, so that'll be cool. But hopefully they'll they'll get going on it because it's it's going to be a while. I I would imagine. Some interesting news for Disney Disney Plus. Um, I have no idea how you say his name. ya is it Yaya? Yahya? Y a y a h y a, Yahya Abdul Mateen Mateer the second is in talks. I'm horrible. I think if if anything, I'm going to become. I, I should, my legacy is that I cannot say people's names. Uh, he's going to be he's in talks for Wonder Man series on Disney Plus. So Wonder Man, if you read comics, you know Simon Williams was an Avenger, he was started out as a kind of villain, died, brought back be- his brain wave patterns became the the, pe- the essence of blueprints for Vision's mind, all this stuff. They're talking about doing a Wonder Man series where everyone is is talking about the whole debate where people are complaining or people are saying you're racist if you don't like it or whatever. Wonder Man in the comics is white. And should that matter? That's that's the whole debate. I always say that I feel like characters should look like they look. And you know an example would be uh, you know I, I was I was talking to a buddy about this. Let's say we're gonna have a new Superman. you know I think this is a safe one. and but let's say we're we're gonna keep Superman white because too many people would would freak out about that. But like let's say you're gonna cast you're gonna make Superman blonde. i it just I don't think it'd be right. It just it, that would not be I mean, I had opinions on Amy Adams being cast as Lois Lane and keeping her red hair. I think Lois Lane should have dark hair. You know Lana Lang has red hair, but should Amy Adams have been forced to either dye her hair or wear a wig? You know, because sometimes that just doesn't work. I, don't know. <laughs> I mean, if it was if if anyone asked me, but yeah. So that, that's that's the thing. We'll, we'll have to see. Now, this actor whose name I cannot mention has is known for playing Black Manta, and he's going to be Black Manta in Aquaman too. He was also in Watchmen. He was also in Candyman. He's also uh, in like the sort of Morpheus role or whatever in Matrix Resurrection. So th- the dude can act. He, he's, he's got talent, which is maybe how this happened. I guess the question is, can he be funny? I, I'm I'm assuming so. But, you know, comedy, just because you're a great actor, doesn't mean you have the com- co- comedic timing. But maybe, you know, he's he's got it all. So we'll have to see. And, you know, I know a lot of people are like, what about Nathan Phil and... You know, because he was always kind of you know whatever. Who knows? So we'll see. But I'm, I'm sure to be good. And other pe- if if people don't like it, don't watch it. Then if, if if you're so like up in an uproar that you know Wonder Man can't be black, then just just don't watch it. Don't support it. But I'll, I'm definitely going to watch it. Andy Serkis, who if you're you're watching Star Wars Andor, you're enjoying his his uh, character, his appearance there. He mentioned why he's not directing Venom 3. I don't think I mentioned last week. I don't know if it was last week. So Kelly Marcel is directing Venom 3. So a lot of people were wondering why, like, why isn't Andy Circus doing it? And he basically said that he's busy. You know, he's got other things to do. Oh, there's something that... Animal Farm, I think, he, he's doing something like that, which I haven't heard anything about that because I'm sometimes in a bubble. Not literally. But, you know, he's he saying that you know, he needs to do other things. He can't do everything, so it'll be interesting to see. You know, Andy Serkis said he enjoys working with Tom Hardy and everything like that. But Kelly Marcel, she hasn't directed anything before. But you know, everyone's obviously got to start somewhere, and they're not going to take this lightly. They're not just going to hand it to anyone because this is a big thing for Sony. You know, say they want to keep the franchise going or build on it. Uh, I think she's been known as like a screenwriter. We'll we'll have to see. I as as you may be aware, I wasn't like super impressed with Let There Be Carnage, but we we won't get into that. Uh, what kind of forever? It was talking about like when does it take place in a timeline? And you know, I it's it's interesting. I never really thought about that because I I know it seems like most of the time the movies kind of line up when they're supposed to be. You know, you don't they don't often release things out of order. Maybe they haven't. And but now with. Like all the TV shows, and with the kind of like little time the five year time jump that we had with with Endgame. So, I guess people are, are wondering. Uh, apparently, it takes place like after Spider Man No Way Home and Eternals. Uh, may, maybe it's happening concurrently with like Thor, Love, and Thunder, and it's almost concurrent with Ant Man and Wasp, which comes out next February. So, if you're wondering, there you go. So, you, you have that. Also, it came. They they mentioned how Black Panther two is not going to have any post credit scenes. You know, there's there's no mid credit, no post credit, and they said that it just didn't really seem appropriate given like the the kind of tone of the movie and or whatever the the content, and you know just like Endgame didn't have anything at the end, so they're like like yeah, you know we don't need to do some funny thing whatever because it's it's not going to necessarily be a funny movie which that should make some people happy because some people don't like all the, the the jokey jokes in in Marvel or whatever so we'll have to see that comes out is that this week don't you ask me but I'm I'm going to say I have my ticket already. I just I don't remember where I think it's this week Clancy Brown if you're a fan of Clancy Brown <laughs> I'll always remember my interview with Clancy Brown <laughs> When he is for Superman, Batman, public enemies or Batman, Superman, whatever it was. He is, I think there's this, I don't think this is official, but there's like a report rumor that he may be joining Gen V, which is the boys spinoff series or the other, is it? How many spinoff series are there? I don't know, but he may be in there. So, okay. And uh, the question is, is he gonna be a bad guy? He often plays bad guys for some reason. Uh, HBO, Max or HBO uh, The Last of Us has a release date January 15th 2023 and man I I really I'm really so when I I saw this date I was like January do I have time to buy the game hook up my PlayStation 4 and and play it try playing it before January 15th the the realistic answer is no I don't have time <laughs> but I uh, will have to see. And and the reason, I, it's just, it's crazy. I, I can barely keep up. Oh, so one thing I had to mention, I, I'm, I, I'm not going to talk about Star Wars, uh, Tales of the Jedi. I have not had time to watch this. One of my students spoiled one thing for me. And and he's like, oh, you can watch it. They're only like like 20 minutes long. They're, they're even actually less than 20 minutes, I think. He's like, you can just watch it. And maybe he said 15, I don't remember. I haven't had time to watch it. And, and even though it, it feels like there's less shows this week, but... I, I, and I didn't go to the theater. I just, I, I can't keep up. I don't know. Anyways, uh, so January 15th, The Last of Us. And I I feel so bad that I've never played it. But it's just, yeah, it's that time thing. Uh, interesting news, also with HBO, HBO Max. Uh, Dead Boy Detectives is still happening. It get, I was, I almost, forget, I, honestly, I I'll admit, I did forget about it. And it seems like this is something that could easily be canceled. You know, for their tax write-offs or whatever. I don't know what stage it's it's been, but the reason it came up is a couple of people have been added to the cast. So obviously, it's not finished. They're still working on it, doing it, filming it. Maybe so um, that that'll be good. That it's, it's cool. So Dead Boy Detectives, you know, it's a Vertigo thing. Were they created by Neil Gaiman? I'm trying to remember if they. I don't think they first appeared in Sandman. I think they pretty sure they were in Sandman. Because they they're also in Doom Patrol, so maybe they're not a Neil Gaiman creation. I should look that up, but but see that that's where the flow of this. I could easily discreetly pause this, look it up, record, start hit record, and act like I'm the super expert. On I'm not going to do that. Plus, I'm too lazy to do that. <laughs> but yeah, I'm going to keep it real. So I, I don't know. Um, obviously, it's just a quick Google search, and you can find out. You know, look at E Split. But uh, either way. You should watch it. So they, they did appear in Doom Patrol, I think I mentioned that on HBO Max. And I, I find I find their their characters interesting. There there was a I'm trying to remember what, if it was a miniseries and I don't remember who wrote it, but I, there's some something I don't know intriguing about, about them. Uh Lupita Nuango, maybe? Is that how you say it? Uh so you know, she's gonna be in Wakanda forever. Uh, she's also apparently going to be in A Quiet Place Day One. So this is going to be another A Quiet Place movie spinoff. It's it's weird because you know we're we're gonna explore this the first day of the alien invasion or whatever invasion spoiler. Sorry if you've never seen A Quiet Place, but we kind of saw that in the sequel. We kind of saw that first day, but maybe this is going to explore more. I mean, maybe it didn't delve that deep into it because I guess it kind of was more like the pre and then right when it ha- happened. I'm trying to remember how far it went. So, okay. We'll, we'll see. I mean, I'm, yeah, obviously I'm going to watch it. Uh, March 8th, 2024. So, that's, that's a ways away. Uh, do you remember that movie, Lucy, with uh, Scarlett Johansson? I, I enjoyed that movie. It was a movie that I didn't see for whatever reason in theaters. And then when it came out in Blu-ray, I remember watching it. It's It was a, not the best you know, a perfect movie, but it, it was really interesting. I'm not super crazy about the ending, i going to be totally honest, but I, I liked a lot of elements of the movie. I thought it was really interesting. And it sounds like they're wanting to do a, a sequel series. So it means like a show, uh, no network or anything is, is, is associated with it. But Morgan Freeman is in talks to reprise his role. And, you know, part of the thing is they want to like answer you know tie up some loose ends that that the movie didn't quite answer and one of the things was there's a like a thumb drive that lucy had given to him with like some i remember some information i should watch that again yeah i scarlett johansson probably won't be involved which is the more, i think she could be if they, they could obviously they could easily do it but she's probably too busy so that won't happen um, going back HBO Max, so the Penguin working title, and I don't think that's the name of it, the the Batman, the, the Batman sp- sp- spin off series featuring Penguin, uh, they cast Kristen Miliati as Sophia Falcone. So, as you know, I'm a fan of Kristen Miliati. She was the mother, and spoiler, <laughs> how I met your mother. And she was obviously in other things. She was in made for love. She was in that uh, resort movie on Peacock, which I realize I still haven't finished that. I think I only watched like three episodes, and I I, I am interested in that. Maybe I should watch that if I had more time. So that that'll be good. Um, I I think she's underrated. I know that's it's that using the word underrated is is overrated, right? Is that that right? So that'll be cool. I'm I'm excited about that. And uh, S- Liam Hems- Hemsworth, this came out, I think, last weekend. He's apparently going to replace Henry Cavill in The Witcher for season four. So, season three isn't out yet. Which, when I've heard of season four, I was like, holy cow, have- did I miss season three? Also, because I haven't watched season two. I wasn't super crazy about season one. I don't know if it was the, like the different time periods. I think there's was, not there like two time periods that were involved or something like that? No attachment to the video games. But I, you know, I, I do like Henry Cavill. I just, I thought the show was okay. A little confusing since I don't know the characters. Season two, I think was supposed to be better. People were saying, I just didn't get it. I kind of, it just kind of came up and, and caught me off guard when it came out. And then with Netflix dropping all the episodes, I was like, there's no way I can watch this. So I, I still haven't. But people are not happy, and and by people I mean like this vocal minority. So maybe other people are like whatever, you know, bring it on. So people are just raising. They're like, oh, just just cancel it, just cancel it, you know, just like make season three. So it's interesting that when you have someone like Henry Cavill, who's well known, and and he seems to be a beloved actor, people are embracing him in in the role. And now they're saying, yeah, we're going to replace him. We're recasting. And, you know, cause Henry Cavill's a busy guy. They must have faith in, in Liam Hemsworth's performance, you know, audition or whatever that they strongly, even cause they could easily just say, all right, let's just make the third season. And, but maybe there's just uh, enough interest. And it'd be interesting to see if, if it still goes through and, and how the reaction will be. Will people give it an open mind? And I, give it an open mind watch it with an open mind jeez so i i think that's important and and it's always hard when you know no one wants to see a a role that they move you know whatever that they like recast but if it's recast or nothing i'd rather get recast as long as you know you recast with talent and liam Hemsworth is he's he's got talent so i don't know but people are not happy and what I'm not happy with uh, is uh, Westworld has been canceled after four seasons. Eh, okay. I mean, I'm not super surprised. The, the way the last season ended, you know, there were... I could see that, you know, you could end it there. But the, the creators, you know, they they had ideas for a fifth season. And, and I think they were looking at, as a fifth season being the final season, I was wondering if it's just expensive you know i i don't know what the cost of this and you know you look at the returns and, and all that but i think another factor was the ratings i think the ratings have dipped uh maybe after i don't know if it's after the second season or, the, or if they've just been continuing you know slowly dipping yeah you know the first season and you know i've said this so many times you know i wasn't watching the first season when it first aired i i came in like right when it i watched it all like after the season and and i was pretty impressed season two was interesting and and it's just gone all over i i will say that this last season with the how they use time and moving things forward i think that might be a bit much i don't know where you can go from here but i would like to know apparently they're still in talks to try to do something because you know they would like to resolve things so hopefully if you know they don't want to commit to a full season then maybe at least at least let try to do like a mini series or a movie but would a movie be enough to do everything that they'd want to do you know just i you know i i don't know i i would say make it a shorter season but it's it's still going to be a cost and they're you know they have to look at their returns you know is is it worth even if they said we'll give you half the season you know would, would that be enough would it be worth it but i i would hope that we'll get something so, we'll have to i guess stay tuned to see if whatever if something happens and the the last thing which is not super um surprising but it's it's a bummer either way is Stargirl is gonna be ending with this current third season and um Jeff Johns issued a statement or you know said some stuff that. You know, basically, with with the the selling of the CW and everything like that, he so said like the writing was on the wall, and you know you see like the other seasons ending, and with the C, the new CW whatever they're focused, you know they're they're putting their interests on different things. You know, the uh, what else? Will, Gotham Knights will still be on there, and Superman and Lois will still be going, and you know, who knows for how long? So. They kind of looked at this season as this is probably going to be the last season, so they, they really like wrapped things up and and did the things that they wanted to do. I just wonder, is there any potential to see these characters in anything else? You know, because Stargirl is, is such like a personal, you know, and a, and a passion project for Jeff Johns. You know, if if you noticed the whole story about how you know Courtney Whitmore was created and an inspiration and the the tragic, and unfortunate, you know loss of Jeff's sister and everything. So this, you know, character has always been to like honor her and everything and th- th- I think it's been great casting and you know it's just such a delight to watch the show and I I think there is enough substance there. You know, I was a little uh, uncertain with this young, you know, JSA, but I I've come to enjoy, you know, the kids even though I do get annoyed. I do roll my eyes, which you'll you'll hear when I talk about you know, go over this this week's episode, but yeah. So it'd be cool if they could do some sort of project. But could they do something on HBO Max or or somewhere else? I don't know. We'll have to see. It's just and it's been such a weird. If if they were to do that, because you know, it started out on the DC Infinite app, and then I think I think it was always like on the, on DC Infinite or whatever it was called. Was it always Infinite? And the CW, I think it was on the CW the next day, and then they did away with content on the app, and it was like, and just yeah. So hopefully we'll we'll see them again. If not, it's it's been a, a good three seasons. And with that, that's it. That's going to be the news for the week. With comic books at Image, uh, Adventure Man hardcover volume two came out. So, I, I unfortunately, I need to get caught up on, on this series. So, you can, this collects uh, issues five through nine. So, this is Matt Fraction, Terry Dotson. That's very, I always call it like an ambitious series with just all the characters. I feel like whenever you have a series with multiple characters, like so many characters, you know, you have to keep track of them. And that was one of the hard parts for me is like remembering everyone's names because I'm horrible at that. But you know you need to develop each character and make them interesting and and make people care about them. So I always I always find that that interesting when when the approach is versus having, you know, three characters versus nine characters or you know whatever. So uh, you should check that out. Bloodstained Teeth issue six came out. So this is a this was an interesting or weird issue. I know I'd say and I say everything is interesting. It's a new story arc, and. Uh, the the basic premise here is vampires this is a vampire book and what 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 i find interesting about this and i purposely said interesting there is you know we see so many different vampire stories and even even just this week you know i think i think there's two vampire books but here the idea is there's this vampire who's been turning people into vampires for money. And or you know some people just you know, they're all obsessed, they want to live forever, this or that or whatever, think that it's gonna make them perfect. So this dude's been making all this money, but then he gets in trouble because this vampire counselor or something or other, they're like, you can't do that. And they're basically like, dude, you need to go and track down all the people you've changed and kill them, or we're gonna more than just kill you. You know, we're gonna make it miserable for you. So with, with this, this is a you know, new story arc just, just picking up and we're seeing some other things. And uh, yeah, so I, I would definitely uh, check this out. With this being the sixth issue, I'm pretty sure the first trade was just recently released. So yeah, I, I would track that down. And uh, it's just, it's, I'm really, really, really digging that. Then there was Hell to Pay, number one. This is by Charles Soule and Will um, Sliney. And, um, it says the shrouded college will give you magic, but you'll incur a debt until it's paid. You belong to them. Married couple, Maya and Sebastian Stone took the deal. They have worked for the college ever since using their new abilities to track down 666 cursed coins, corca, AKA the devil's dollar. Only a few remain. The stones are almost free, but the devil's in the details. So this is interesting God, it's a sad word again. What what I like about this is, you know, at first we're, we were seeing these couple we we don't really know. I I ended up reading it without reading the synopsis right away. I just thought I was like, oh Charles Soul. okay, I'm gonna read it. So these these two, you know, they're they're trying to track down these, these coins because once they track them down, then they're free from having to work for this college and everything like that, and then they can, you know, start their life. One of the things that is mentioned is when you incur this debt or whatever you you can't have kids you, you can't get pregnant or whatever that that's like one you know the big things that you have to do until you pay things off and whatever you do whatever the heck you want with your life so obviously this couple you know they want to start a family or it's at some point you know that could be a possibility and i, I won't go into more specifics than that but it's it's interesting to see like what they do, and it, it's a once they figure out, like, oh, we're almost there, a big monkey wrench gets thrown into the mix, and uh, I have no idea where that's going to take the, the series, the characters, but um, something is definitely going on here. So, yeah, that that I'm I'm curious to see what's going to happen. Speaking of more vampires, Little Monsters is back, issue seven. So this is Jeff Lemire and Dustin Nguyen. And this this book always m- makes me a little antsy. The little monsters are vampire vampire kids, post apocalyptic world, whatever you know. Things are horrible. We have this group of kid vampires living on their own, just trying to pass time and just you know survive and you know play at night, sleep during the day, and everything. Then they discover a human, and, and some of them get, like get the taste for it. So now you're seeing these. They seem like innocent vampire kids, but now that they got the taste, and then there's like other stuff going on, and just the idea, you know, how long? Because like they don't even remember like how long they they've been there on their own, because you know it's been a while since they're vampires, you know, extended life periods and, and or lifespans, all that. But what's what's cool about this one is we do get some like flashbacks, and we see like some of, you know, and it's not like like super flashbacks, and but we're we're finding out more. About these characters from before, and and yeah, uh, you know, there's some. Uh, it, but like I said, it just we're we're starting to get this this divide uh, with uh, what's the right thing to do and everything. And uh, I don't know, man. It's just it. Like I said, it just makes makes me a little antsy. Then there's Old Dog Number Two. So this is written by Declan Shelby and is drawn by uh, someone named also named Declan Shelby. So this is a, I'm not really sure. So, okay, exciting new action series by Declan Shelby continues a brand new mission. Lynch is on assignment to safeguard a black circle source whose cover is suspected to be exposed. When those fears prove true, this old dog will need to get his source out of Dodge in one piece. The, the first issue basically introduces to to the character. Some stuff happened and, you know, he, he used to work for like the agency or whatever. Now he's, you know, pulled back after all this and the interesting thing is that he's working with his daughter and you know there's this kind of like strained strained relationship and what is fascinating here there's almost like kind of like anything goes or like you don't know what's going to happen with with these missions where you know you only know what your part of the mission is so you don't necessarily know the bigger picture and and yeah so there's a I, I have no idea where this is going. and, and But that's what I like. That's what I, I think makes it fascinating, where it's not just like super obvious or whatever. Yeah, we'll have to see what happens there. At Boom Studios, there was Behold Behemoth, Issue 1 of 5. Man, talk about a freaky, like, what the heck is going on here. So this is by Tate Bromble with art by Nick Robles. So, uh, th- th- I'm just going to read the synopsis. House of uh, Slaughter's Tate Bromble b- brings his first original series to Boom Studios alongside red hot artist Nick Robles, who did The Dreaming Waking Hours. Grayson's world is crum- crumbling following his brother's. I'm not like drunk. I feel like am uh, I'm slurring. It's like I, 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 I haven't had a drop of anything besides so some coffee. <laughs> uh, Grayson's world is crumbling following his brother's sudden and mysterious death. His sleepless nights are haunted by vivid nightmares of a terrifying monster pushing him to the brink of losing both his sanity and his job as a social worker. And that's where things get weird because you get like these flashbacks like this other world. So it's like, is he really, obviously he's not really there in this other world, but it's like, wait, what is this? What is going on here? Uh, But he's truly shaken to the core when his newest case, a young orphan girl named Ren, is found at the scene of a brutal murder spoilers scene of a brutal murder just hours after first meeting Grayson the line between nightmare and waking life blurs as Grayson soon discovers that the monster from his dreams might just be real a mythical ancient beast that is bringing about the end of the world with shocking connections to both him and Ren. Man, there's some spoilers here. I'm glad I didn't read all that <laughs> before I read the issue. I started reading it. So I do that often because when stuff like this happens, I'll start reading like what it's about. I'm like, okay, that sounds interesting. I'll check it out. You know, and it's a number one, so you know, and I, I feel like I've been neglecting Boom lately, so I you know wanted to make sure I should ch- I check this out. So it is because, like when he goes to check on this girl, Ren, because there was like the school had reported that you know he went to like the foster house or whatever because like you know the, some of the kids have been been sick or absent or something like that so he has to go check it out. So the the moment in question, which is not really a spoiler, it's not a spoiler, is what's going on here. So he he goes to the house and he's like talking to her and he notices she has a black eye or like a bruise on her face and and the, the dude or you know he seems like he's religious or something you know he's they it must have been ash wednesday you know he got the whatever the cross on the, the head and uh he's like oh yeah it's clumsy or something like that and then all of a sudden the dude's like in the bathtub at home so and he's like i i lost i blacked out again so it's like what happens and then he other it just leads to other things so it's like we how is he what did he do something or did someone else do like what's so there's just like, a, oh, man, we're, what's, this is like not good. Um, so it, yeah, you should definitely check that out. I, I, I'm intrigued to see what this all means and have no idea. So I, I, I find that very interesting. Over at DC Comics, we have the new Champion of Shazam issue 3. Uh, the the bummer about this is this is only four issue series, and the the bummer is because i I want it to be be more. I, I like Doc Shanner's art and uh you know with the focus on Mary, I, I'm intrigued with that. Uh, i I don't care for Shazam for Billy being in eternity or in the, is is the rock of eternity in in hell still? I don't even know. So, because of that, he bestowed some of the power, you know, the power Shazam, on Mary because he's not able to, to use it, and she had to drop out of college. You know, she was like at her dream school, and then their foster parents, you know, from all, all the kids, they just something happened to them. They disappeared, so she had to return back home. So she had to drop out of college and go. You know, so she's taking classes at this community college, which is kind of sketch, and and dealing with these you know, this mystery, like, is there any connection? You know, all these people are missing. It's not just her parents or foster parents that are missing. And there's some these, some dudes using, like, magic and technology or whatever, so it's like, what what is going on? But I, I just, I I feel like Mary Marvel is a character has been neglected, because I'm, I'm trying to think, and in all the time that I've been reading, there hasn't been a whole lot of Mary Marvel in, in comics. And it even seemed like, was it like 52, where it almost felt like they, like, reintroduced her into, like, The post crisis on infinite earth's continuity. So, I I just think we should see more of her because I I think you know she could be a cool character. Then there is a Joker, the man who stopped laughing. So, this is by Matthew Rosenberg, and this is kind of like the follow up to the Joker series that Rosenberg co wrote. Yeah, it's just the Joker's like checking things out and. I don't know like what necessarily is going on because, you know, there's been sightings of the Joker. Um, but some people are saying that that's not Joker. Cause Joker's like on the news that he was somewhere else, but you know, something is happening. And as I'm reading this, cause you know, it's, it's clearly we see someone's like that sure. looks like the Joker, but something happened to him. You know, he's, he's been a little injured or something like that. And I'm always interested as like with Jeff uh, John's three Jokers, it, you know, is there could there be some connection with that you know do is that in continuity or not i think it's kind of not like official official continuity just because a couple of things that that happened but yeah so i'm 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 intrigued with with this series uh sort of Azrael came out number four i'm not reading that poison ivy issue six and this um i i almost thought i was thinking that this was a like a mini series but it there's another issue here so this i i was enjoying this in the beginning I, I was as i mentioned you know with poison ivy and her plan to basically like kill all humanity because you know they're just horrible people or horrible whatever it just seemed like this is kind of crazy it's like how do you come back from this you know with, with with stuff that she's already unleashed and you know this this pathogen or whatever then when we see like who she was kind of going up against I, i'm not super crazy about that character so you know we we kind of get some closure with that so it kind of feels like like we'll get a new story arc in next issue which would make sense because this is a six issue but um I, I i'm curious to see you know what more we can do with poison ivy because you know that's another character that we haven't seen a whole lot and i feel like every once in a while you know characters you know she'll, she'll pop up as the villain or as you know a protagonist or something in in some story arc but i I think this is like the first time that we're really delving this deep into her character in long terms you know besides just like a one-shot book so i i'd like to see more monkey prince issue eight so monkey prince has been in atlantis you know fighting with and against aquaman and some other and the the trencher here and it's just this is just such a weird book. Uh, it's I mean, yeah. It's Monkey Prince is who is he? He's gone up against Batman and Robin, and see, then we had Aquaman. Is that the only one we've had so far? And then uh, it looks like he and his fa- his parents, might be going to Metropolis in the next issue. So, and his parents are they work? They're they're doctors, but they work for villains. <laughs> And, and he doesn't quite know that. Like, they moved to it Amnesty Bay, and they were working for Black Manta. And, yeah. And who are they working? They were working for, I don't remember if it was Penguin or Riddler at, at the beginning. But, yeah, Monkey Prince is just, he's kind of interesting. Uh, Gotham City, year one. This, I really don't know how I feel about this. So this is this weird I I'm assuming it's out of continuity cuz we have these other characters or Waynes, but it's not like Bruce or, or Thomas or even Martha and uh yeah and then you know the 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 Wayne's child was kidnapped and there is this bat hyphen man who's claiming responsibility and this uh like private uh, who is it Sam Slambray, Bradley I don't even remember now but he's he's been like brought in to be like a liaison and deliver a letter and you know do all this stuff like that with with information about the missing daughter and so it's I'm 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 curious my I I did read this issue and I did enjoy it but part of it is when I see it pop up like oh it's out this week because I'm not like overly like sure like what's going on and where this fits or something like that so it's just. I feel like, for me, it wouldn't be like a top priority read. There wasn't a whole lot of DC books this week, so I did read it. But if this was like a bigger week, I I probably would have put that towards the bottom and maybe not gotten around to it. So I, I'm just I'm not sure how 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 I feel about it. I mean, I I do like Phil Hester's art. I'm always you know fascinated with how he just gives life to the scenes and just you know seeing what what he does with it. I'm always always interested with that so we'll see then there's Dark Knights of Steel issue 8 it feels like there's a, a little bit of a, a gap between this this issue and the last one but we got more stuff going on we got the tensions and you know there there is sort of like a Game of Thrones type vibe going on with like the different houses and the different factions and you know just people not getting along and hating each other and attacking each other and you know murdering each other and the say like the last page here is like holy crap that's i don't even want to hint or suggest anything but someone unleashes on someone else and it's just like um yeah you can't walk away from that then there is a batman 129 so batman had created a failsafe program and this thing has escaped and taken life and basically it's after batman and it, it's deeming Batman as a threat and just taking on anyone and anything that is allying themselves with Batman. And, you know, Gotham is kind of like a under like a police state or whatever. And the Justice League who have tried to assist him have been neutralized, captured. So it's just... It, it's, so Batman goes to the Watchtower and Failsafe follows him. It's just like there's, there's no place... Because fail safe is is programmed by bruce it's, it's like it's supposed to be his mind and the idea is is if bruce wayne ever crossed the line or batman ever crossed the line failsafe would deal with him take him out so he knows all of like the, the way batman thinks and like what he would do so if if batman's like well i could hide here failsafe knows about that so it's hard to stay one step ahead when it's like you're going up against yourself because you know what you would do and you can like analyze or you know run programs or figure out what you, so yeah things are just just really kind of messy there then there is a uh, batman and the joker uh the deadly duo so this is a mark silvestri series i i liked it it's uh I, there's something about Mark Silvestri's art, and you know, I, I don't know how to necessarily you know put my finger in there, but there's something with with the, the the art and the the, the inking and, and the, the colors and everything like that. So it's it's just really there's such a like vibe and an energy that, that comes off of that, and you know, I, I do think about like you know the, the '90s and everything, and so I'm I'm enjoying this like where this is gonna go, and you know the the, the setup here. Of course the the main thing is because it's a joker involved i feel like we just have we have way too too much joker stuff you know we have uh, the matthew rosenberg joker series uh we have joker sort of uh, not really but still is like a presence in sean murphy's you know white knight stuff so i just feel like there's just way too much joker but the setup here what we see and the reason why Batman will potentially be working with, with Joker is, it's it's a it's a good setup. You know, it's it's not necessarily what you would expect. But I feel like because when I first heard about this, you know, I'll be honest. I'm like, okay, Batman and Joker, you know, deadly duo. Like, really? So is this going to be like some weird? Continuity thing where they're teaming up for whatever reason. I thought this just like just seems kind of kind of weird, but it it does work out where you know Batman is not obviously a fan of the Joker, but in this instance, Joker's as innocent as as I guess he can be, but there's definitely something else going on. So Batman's not going to have much of a choice. It's like he has to work with Joker in order to try to solve this problem and, and save people or whatever <laughs> but just just the way he handles joker and you know he's i, I think at one point like he, i think he like he snapped his finger you know, like you're like oh let's shake on it and he like you know breaks some fingers and like that cuz batman clearly does not like joker so it's um it'll be interesting to see how they they'll get along or they won't get along, but we have that. So I I would say you know it's it's worth checking out. And just you know if if you're a Mark Silvestri fan, it's it's worth seeing. You know where how this is going to play out. Over at Marvel, we had <laughs> Avengers Forever issue ten. I feel like oh I think I got tricked. So I'm, I'm watching this because or I'm watching this. I'm reading this because lately the the stories the issues have been like oh here's this alternate version of carol danvers here's this alternate version of thor here's this alternate version of captain america you know we're we're seeing all these multiverse characters to see like who is like the ultimate one or you know to go in this this fight that you know they're, they're assembling this team of whatever uh, avengers and this one i was like oh we're, we're okay we, we've solved all that but now it's like oh wait no they're looking for iron man even though we have a tony stark as ant-man from like the the first issue and all that but there, there's like all these other tony starks and some of it's just like oh my goodness and i feel like it's just it's just the same thing it's like like show us all these different versions of characters you know flesh them out tell and then it's like okay welcome to the team type of thing and I'm just, I'm just getting really tired of this formula because I, I feel like the story is not really going. It's just like each issue is like a what if issue, focusing on different version or a different version of the character, just to see how they might be a little different. And then it's, it's not nothing is really happening just yet. They're all being gathered so they can deal with the problem, the issue, the fight, and then something will happen. So I don't know, that's just that's just how I'm taking it. And then we have Captain Marvel issue 43. Carol gets, uh, she she's like sort of on vacation with, with Rhodey and she gets like this distress signal from Rogue of all people. So she's like, what, what's this about? So then they go to the treehouse in New York where the X-Men, their, their New York City base and you know some of her the other like jessica drew and hazmat and uh was there someone else too they they go along because you know they all want to check out the treehouse, and would they find out that oh rogue is missing you know she never reported back and stuff like that so they're gonna try to trace where she's at and does it say on the cover uh revenge of the brood part one so uh guess what the Brood brooder inv- oh laura kinney uh wolverine x23 she's she's here too so I I just I love this series. I don't know if I'd say love. I really like this series. Um, I, I love Kelly Thompson's writing, so I'm I enjoying that. Oh, I totally forgot to read Damage Control Issue 3. Oh, man. Let me guess what's going to happen. So we had this guy that got a job there. He's interning. He's going to get assigned to a new um department he's gonna do some crazy wacky things are gonna happen then he's gonna mess up and then have to go to new department is that what happened i i honestly seriously didn't read this i don't know but this is the book that kind of makes me angry when i read it uh um, deadpool issue one this this one didn't quite make me angry but i was like oh man you got me you suckered me it's like it was like a sucker punch basically so, I, I like Deadpool. I don't love Deadpool, but I, I really like Deadpool. I think he's a fun character. And I know some people don't like all the, the jokey jokes, but whatever. That's just who Deadpool is. So, he, part of what's going on is he wants to join this, uh, like, group of, like, assassins, this elite group, like, totally, oh, what's a word I'm looking for? Exclusive group. And in order to join, you know, he's lucky to even get like this audition type of thing. He has to kill. He's a, his task is to kill Doc Ock in the 48 hours. Unfortunately, he finds himself in a bit of a predicament as this other uh, character has taken him and is, is fascinated or interested in his healing ability. She, has a, a sample of Carnage from the King in Black thing. And so she's she's tried to bond the Symbiote with other people. It hasn't worked. They've like just died and everything like that. But she figures with Deadpool and his healing, it could work. So it's just like oh my god, friggin' Carnage. It's like no <sighs> So we'll see where that's gonna go. Guardians the Guardians of the Galaxy Cosmic Rewind. I'm not really sure The point of this and i don't know i think this is a one shot at first i was like oh we're we're finally getting a new guardians get we don't have a current ongoing guardians of galaxy series which the way it's kind of been going lately i'm I'm okay with because i haven't really been digging the, the last few issues so here we have the story and the world mind which that's like for Nova Corps. I thought I thought World Mind was was gone, got obliterated or whatever. So World Mind is collecting data about Earth, Earth people, so to figure. Oh, let's talk to Peter Quill because he's from Earth, but he's like ha- has hardly even been there. You know, most of his life he has not been there. So they want to interview him, but because of all the different things that are going on, then other people start. The Other Guardians are are. In, you know answering questions and doing it's just I don't know it just I did not enjoy this I, I just I felt like some of the things were just really forced like Drax really felt like movie Drax like with the the way he processes humor and how he like he once he loudly understands it he's like oh you know whatever is uh I don't know but if it's just one shot, all right, <laughs> I'm fine with that. Hulk, issue 10, Hulk Planet, part 2. Hulk finds himself on this planet where there's like these other Hulks, and it seems like it, it could be the place to be. But of course, you know, so- something's going to go wrong. So apparently, I, I think I kind of missed this. During the Hulk Thor crossover, Thor realized, or, or Hulk Bruce told him that he was possessed by this other being this dark being and that's who killed all the people at this bar or whatever when the avengers were after the hulk because of course they just immediately jumped the gun and assumed the worst so hulk basically told avengers that or thor told the avengers that hulk died so then hulk can go out in space and just live a life in peace but it's like then he can never go back to earth that just seems weird So Hulk is like, uh, he's intrigued with this planet. And like at one point, these these people, they kind of worship him because they kind of owe a lot to to Hulk as to why and how they are where they're at. Long story. It's not really, sort of. But at one point, they're like, oh, will you do us the honor in playing this game thing that we do. And he's like, well, I, you know, because just so I could say, I have the honor of playing with, like, the strongest one there is. And he's like, well, I don't want to hurt anyone. There. But then they're like, oh, no, you can't hurt anyone here. But then there's, like, also, like, a little kicker that's, um, I don't know where where that's going. So something that that's not good for the Hulk is potentially going to happen. Oh, I just realized I didn't. Read Predator issue four. I've been kind of liking this series. My problem is like the color and, and, you know, I don't, I haven't really enjoyed Predator comics. <laughs> I did enjoy Ar- Predator, Archie meets Predator or whatever it was, but that's a different story. Uh, so, but I am, I'm curious about this story to see where it's going to go. So I, I need to read that. Punisher issue seven. I almost feel like this, this was a little misleading itself because Punisher lately, if you've been reading, he's been recruited by the hand. They want him to be like their their master or something like that. And there's like this dark beast that the hand worships and, and everything like that. And then you have Ares who is you know Punisher is taking him on and they're like fighting and not getting on whatever. But also in Daredevil, we have you know Electra going to Daredevil's, like we need to join forces and we need to take on the hand and do all this stuff like that so it almost feels like you have these two big things happening with the hand and then like now they're, they're finally crossing over so it's like if daredevil is taking on the hand to try to dismantle them for defeat them forever and then punisher is leading the hand so some big things are going to happen here but then i feel like it's just like they just barely scratched the surface and then daredevil like well oh, we'll meet again type of thing and then it's dealing more with Punisher and the fact, because we get a lot of flashbacks, basically. It's a lot of stuff about how the war affected Frank. And what it's a little concerning, the way they're depicting it, how basically with what Frank experienced in Vietnam, and when he, because like when it, his wife was, was kind of like, afraid of him and the kids like they didn't even know who he was because you know they they didn't know him Mm -hmm. and it just seems like he wasn't really there and then you know things slowly start to change but it's it's just really kind of painting frank in a a dark corner but it's like it because almost like he had no connection or no feeling towards his family when the whole point was his family was killed and that just totally pushed him over the edge to take on every single villain you know to punish everyone but it's almost like he why would it even how would he even face him so yeah i don't know we'll we'll see uh then there's secret invasion issue one when i saw this i was like hmm like where where are they going with this scrolls are back giant size issue kicking off an all-new five-part miniseries This is weird how it is. Okay, it says when Maria Hill detects the merest hint of scrolls, she acts quickly to put her defensive plans into action. And when Nick Fury is sent to investigate a scroll sighting in Iowa, (laughs) poor Nick Fury has to go to Iowa, he finds the last thing he was expecting. It kind of goes reverse order. Nick goes out to Iowa because it's like someone had contacted him about possible scrolls. And then he reports back to Maria, you know. Maria's with I think like the CIA or something like now, mm-hmm. and you know he's basically letting her know like what happened and everything. My problem is it feels like Nick Fury is supposed to be Nick Fury senior, you know, because like he talks about these like CIA protocol protocol plans that he put in, in, you know, he worked on or helped with it when he was director of Shield, but it just feels like this this is nick fury jr who has been nick fury for like two weeks or maybe two years or whatever long so he doesn't have this rich vast history that regular nick fury has i i feel i not that necessarily the writer you know or forgetting i feel like marvel as a whole they're like let's ignore this fact let's just treat him like he's nick fury because we have nick fury in the movies So we want to try to, you know, make that, I don't know. I just miss regular Nick Fury. And this Nick Fury Jr., Marcus Johnson, (laughs) of all people, when he was introduced, it's just so, so weird. I still cannot, it's been how, it's been like since 2016, if not more, that this happened and I still can't comprehend. And I have deep respect for those involved with, the creation of Marcus Johnson. Cause I know Matt Fraction. I forgot who else. There's like three writers that do this miniseries, And this is supposed to be like, this is going to change everything. And, and it kind of has. <laughs> I just, I don't, I don't, I just, I'm so confused. Cause so many times I feel like writers are writing this Nick Fury Jr. As Nick Fury. I was like, no, it's not like Nick Fury put his essence into his child. And the fact that then he like, he loses his, an eye. And he starts shaving his head to look like movie Nick Fury. But the fact that he lost his eye and his dad lost I it, like, what? I, I don't know. But I, I was with this issue, uh, I enjoyed it, but I don't know how I feel about the scroll invasion. Uh, it makes me a little nervous. But the last page or couple pages is like, uh-oh, SpaghettiOs. <laughs> so I, I would recommend checking this out i hope it, i mean it's hard to say because what was this was it a five issue series it says um i thought i saw that somewhere maybe it's not the it say on the cover i don't know where I, where I got that from maybe yeah five part mini miniseries first first sentence so i don't know if this is going to play a bigger role in anything maybe they're just doing this so when secret Inv- invasion comes out there is a secret invasion new secret invasion trade paperback that can be sold with original secret invasion I don't know, but I, I enjoyed this. I'm I'm really curious where this can go. I hope it has a bigger impact on Marvel as a whole. And I really like Ryan North. So I I, I would recommend this. She-Hulk issue seven. I feel like this issue went by fast. So, you know, we got She-Hulk um, with Jack of Hearts, you know, their developments or whatever there. Then she goes to work and uh I shouldn't spoil who her client is. So she gets kinda called in um, Andy, the awesome Andy Android, asks her to come in as a favor and, and so she meets with a client, which is kind of interesting or whatever. And then she goes to check on this uh these two this this guy and this girl who she ran across in a park or something like that. and you know the guy was just like big, you know his power huge and just attacking. And she goes, It's a. I don't know what what their motives are. And, yeah, so we got that. <laughs> and then there's Star Wars 29. Basically, um, Holdo, uh, Amalyn Holdo, she's like, oh, we should go on vacation. And so she's kind of, you know, Leia's like, wait, what? We can't go on vacation because, you know, she doesn't want to take any time to relax. Lando's like playing... You know, cards or whatever with Chewbacca and keeps beating him. He's trying to get Luke to, to join in, but Luke's like, Oh no, I need to read these Jedi, you know, texts. And, and they do, there is some action involved, so it's not all just them sitting around a pool or anything like that. But it wasn't my favorite of the recent issues. So, who was this? It was Charles Sowell wrote it still. I don't know. Then, uh, let's see was there anything else x-men red so with this i don't know what it is about x-men red i haven't been like super crazy about this i thought with this one uh because it's let's see welcome to the world fam cable springs a trap for abigail brand but are her plans too big for even a son to handle alone to foil schemes stretching from the soul system to the Shi'ar empire beyond the soldier tomorrow is going to need all the help he can get from his very own X Men Red. So wait, now it's like to- has nothing to do with the X Men Red. <laughs> I, you know, I don't know, but you know, I do like Cable, and I'm really curious, to like, what Abigail Brand's doing because we've seen her kind of like double, triple crossing, like stuff's going on here. So the idea is like, oh, what we're gonna take her out. Uh, I don't, I don't know where, where that's gonna go, but we'll see. But then that's all we're gonna see for this week because. That's all the comics that I read. All right. Then there was an episode of Rick and Morty, which sort of, you know, Rick and Morty is taking a little break until November 20th, I I believe. So we had six episodes and then we're going to get, I think, another six episodes but on Halloween Eve, uh, I guess, they released another one of the extras. And I, I'm not really sure how many of these extras are, and I haven't really been keeping track of them. I've been, I have been—I don't even think – I'm sure I haven't seen all of them. I know I've seen a couple at least, and then I never finished the last one. It's still sitting in my DVR. Um, I don't even remember what, what, it, what it was about. But we had another extra, and I was like, oh – is this you know just in time for Halloween cool everything and it's all claymation so this one i, I wish they were number 2 like extra 1 extra 5 extra what, whatever it's just extras summer sleepover so it's it's all claymation and there's no voices uh, it's it's just uh, which makes it a little creepy because the, i mean claymation process is is such a bizarre and fascinating aspect whether it was 100% claymation i'm assuming it is you know i'm sure you can make cg stuff that looks like it but i'm pretty sure so it's like man how long does it take to make this which i couldn't even imagine that but it's it's just kind of creepy and and at some parts like the the clay kind of looks a little dirty or whatever so makes them look kind of dirty or cracked and it starts off like straight up rick is on on the garage floor covered in like green slime and he crawls there's like this gun in the corner and then like something like gets him everyone else it seems kind of nervous. They're like lying in bed, so it's like, wait, what? What the heck is going on? What happened to Rick? And why is everyone like in bed, like all nervous? And then it's Summer's sleepover. She has a couple of friends over. They're eating pizza, and then there's like this little, kind of cute alien, like watching from the closet. Uh, you know, it's it's probably kind of like ET size, if not smaller, or whatever. But it has it almost looks like a teddy bear type of thing. So it, it watches. They're like dancing and doing whatever stuff. And then this green slime shoots out of its head and they're all kind of like knocked out. The the alien goes up in the attic then t- tentacle things comes like through the floor so like above the, where the, everyone's like knocked out and it attaches to Summer's friend's head. It like, gr- the grabs onto their heads and like kind of pulls them up which is like it's not it going to like rip their heads off or anything. Somehow it must I don't know. So it, it takes them up then w- one like one friend goes uh, into the, the bathroom and, and like falls to the floor and then her ribs are kind of like pulsing. It's like, like almost looks like something's going to like bust out of her body, like, like an alien. But then what's kind of weird. Cause then like summer's dancing with her other friend was like, wait, then summer's alone. Then her, she's playing a cassette. this like summer's mixer. Or something like that sleepover, whatever it was, it stops. So she goes to the bathroom and her other friend is there, but she has like extra arms now. She has, like, four extra uh, extra, extra arms. And then she's uh, Summer, like, squirts, like, hand lotion or something into into her eye. And then she opens this door, but there's like, all these, like, funky colors in there. The friend grabs her, throws her through the mirror, and she's, like, in this other dimension. It's, like, what the heck is going on? There's an alien inside this other. So it's, like, wait, what's happening? Then Summer's, like, outside. It as, as she's going after this alien it's almost like there's less claymation it's like kind of like the, the skin's smoother the next morning Beth wakes up and then this tentacle thing goes towards Jerry um, Beth sees like the green ooze dripping as she's like brushing her teeth Summer is like running but then she only thinks she's running so her body is like being held by one of the tentacle things in the house so her legs are kind of moving like, like she's actually running so jerry's now sitting up in bed he thinks he's sitting next to this blue-skinned alien like in a bikini on the bed and he seems a little nervous beth goes up to the attic she sees this giant like alien head there and then she like screams rick wakes up uh he like sees his little like rick stash little compartment thing has been busted open and he's not happy about that and then uh the little alien changes from a cute thing to this taller alien it ducks in this building and it's summer it's like almost passes it and then she like turns around the alien turns into this little worm as summer enters the room so it's like i don't understand why summer's chasing this thing now when this thing is doing all this stuff to them but she's it's it in her mind or whatever because she's still being held by the alien thing in the addict. then then the alien grabs beth uh a, a rocket launches and it shoots it in the forehead rick smiles because he's got his gun the alien tentacle grabs his rifle and it starts like wrapping around him like choking him then a tentacle goes for morty as he sleep what he is he's as he's sleeping he wakes up just in time and he starts like punching the thing <laughs> summer looks at the worm and kind of like walks around it Then she like ducks in, in a corner because her friends with like six arms before extra arms is like outside like looking through the window rick and beth are are held by tentacles and like the attic morty's surprised to see summer and, and her friends their bodies like hanging from like her bedroom or whatever then um summer closes her eyes and her like face the features kind of meld away and it's just like a plain face now then the aliens inside and it's like somehow just like teleported in there her alien friend walks in too. Then Summer walks up to the alien. So she still has no face. Kicks it in the crotch. The alien in the attic feels it, and then the friend grabs the worm and then like steps on it. The alien in the attic bites like it, the tentacle is like coming out of its mouth, and it, like bites down on it, and it, like it actually bites the tentacle off. Beth starts shooting with with the gun, and then she runs out of ammo. Then Rick has this, uh, another gun. He shoots a big rocket at it. So then we see Jerry, he's staring at the blue alien and like the, the bikini, he's staring at her chest. It's like getting larger, large, you know, and then the, the top busts open, but then it explodes. The girls hanging fall as there's like green ooze like all over them. Then everyone starts getting up and they're covered in green ooze. Summer hits play on a tape recorder and then they start dancing, the end. And that was it. And then as the credits are going, then you see like Jerry wakes up with a green ooze on him and he like smiles. So I don't know if he had a dream or I... I <laughs> I don't know. So it was like such a weird episode. And it's 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 like uh, just under 15 minutes long. So it's not quite... I mean, the on a DVR, it runs at 15. I don't think there's any commercials during. I don't remember now. But it's definitely shorter than a regular episode. But uh, I didn't like it as much as the regular ones. It's, they're just... They're kind of like... I don't even know how you describe it. But they're kind of like homage. I wouldn't even say it, like an homage. Like art is just like... Just weird, <laughs> but that was. But at least we got a little bit of Rick and Morty, sort of. Uh, yeah, the, now what we have four more weeks, three more, four. I don't even remember now. Two, three weeks. <laughs> that was just weird. All right, with Chucky season two episode five, doll on doll. So we're, we're kind of back to what I would prefer in, in a Chucky episode. It picks up from. Um, so two episodes ago, <laughs> we see Muscle Chucky, you know, he shows a nice Chucky, his collection of knives, because, you know, he came in, they know, both in, in Father Bryce's office. He starts talking about the kids and everything. You know, he's, he's like, I'm going to kill that, that bitch and, you know, like whatever and everything, our friends. And he's like, well, he's like, no, well, he's you know, like, they're, they're my friends and stuff like that. And then Muscle Chucky's like, what the hell do they do to you? So, Jake and Devin are, are now outside the office. The door's locked, but they can hear, they're like, there's another one in there now. So, you know, they're, they're trying to like open the door, or whatever, you know, they, they, how are they going to get in there? So then you can hear that like Muscle Chucky's talking about like which knife he'll use on whose, you know, because he's like, this, oh, this one's like rusty and this one's serrated, or whatever. And he's talking about different things like that. And a nice Chucky, he's, after he hears all this, he tries a- attacking him. Muscle Chucky flips him over. Uh, and then they they, they start. <laughs> it was a little cheesy, I have to admit. They they they're kind of like boxing where they're like trying to like punch each other and and stuff like that. And then Muscle Chucky's like, "You're not a good Chucky." Then he's like, "I am a good Chucky." So now Jake, he's like, "We have to help Good Chucky." And. Devin's like, what are you talking about? So good, Chucky is lying on the ground, and he like looks up because you know at one time he he said I think he said something about the Bible. You know, he's holding up the book, and then Muscle Chucky just like knocks it out of his hand. So Good Chucky is lying on the ground. He looks up. He sees a crucifix, and Muscle Chucky comes up. He kicks him in the crotch, sends him flying, and then Good Chucky he he's on a desk now. He grabs knives. He, he's like, I'm the Chucky I choose to be. And then he throws knives at Muscle Chucky as he jumps up. He throws it with such force it impales him against the wall. And so he's got like two two hands like you know spread out like he's like crucified. And then there's another one that, that goes like in his like midsection. And then Good Chucky just like throws up because he's grossed out by what he just did. Then the, the door finally they they finally manage to get the door open. Jake and, and Devin. I think they they might have picked a lock. I forget. And then, then, you know, Chucky's like all oh, tired from, you know, the fight and from throwing up. He's like, how'd I do, coach? And Jake is like, you know, has him in his arms type of thing, you know, his, his head. And he's like, you did good and everything. And then good Chucky passes out in his arms. And Devin's like, he's not thrilled. He's just like, what's going on? So then, uh, you know, we're so in, inside the office now, and Devin's like, good Chucky? He's like, look at what he did. He's like, he's a killing machine. Jake's like, he saved us from from Chucky. He is Chucky. And, you know, that's what Devin said. And you know, Devin's like, I you know, I don't just don't know how to talk to you anymore. It's like I don't even know even know you. And they're like, you know, Chucky, he he killed Trevor. He's like, How long until he kills someone you love again? And then, you know, he's saying all this stuff that he was like, Oh, we got to save him this and that. And he's like, you know, Gary's never coming back. He's like, There is no good Chucky. Good and then good Chucky's like, huh? And he and he's like, is he on the ground? He like kinda of reaches out, out to Jake. Jake picks him up and kinda of, he's like he's kinda of hugging him almost. And then they just leave. And you're like, that was awkward. And Devin's just standing there, like left behind. He's he's kinda of like flabbergasted. He goes over to like Muscle Chucky, he's like just looking at him. He starts like he pulls out like the, the knife in his midsection. And just as he's doing this, like Father Bryce walks in. He's like, Devin, I find this act of blasphemy deeply disturbing. Meanwhile, in Nadine and Lexi's, Lexi's uh, bedroom, Lexi or Nadine is like spraying Trevor's body with like some cleaner stuff, like from in in the closet. Lexi's kind of like sweating, and you know she's clutching a bag of pills that you know that Trevor tried planting in her desk. And then Nadine says, "Lexi, she's like, you don't look too good." She's like, "I'm worried about you." So Lexi can barely hold it together. She's like, "There's a dead body in the closet. There's a homicidal doll on the loose." She's like, "I'm worried about me." And then she's like, I'm going to the bathroom to be alone. So she goes in the stall. She's looking at the pills. And then Nadine followed her and she's like talking to her from like, you know, on the other side in the bathroom. She's like, if you don't quit while you're head, you're going to die. And Alexi's like, you don't know what you're talking about. Nadine's like, I do know something about it. And she talks about, she's like, have you ever had a pet who was a bestie? She's like, I had five gerbils and they died. And Lexi's like, "What are you talking about?" She's like, "Each time I felt like it was the end of the world." She's like, "I didn't know why they would leave me." One day I came home and a gerbil was still there, scurrying around. It was like the cage was open, but my mom was passed out and she wouldn't wake up that time. So she asked Lexi like to open the door. She comes out and then you know she hugs Nadine. So basically, Nadine knows this is how she knows about like the drug abuse or whatever like that because that's what her mom did, and she wouldn't wake up. So maybe she died. I guess that's what we're led to assume. So they, they hug. Then, you know, she's like, "Oh, I'm sorry. And whatever Lexi's, you know, after a while, she's like, you know, those two dorks. And I have, have taken Chuckie down before. It's like, we'll do it again. And she takes the pills. You know, she during her hand, she goes to the toilet, she flushes them. So she's going to kick the habit. Glenn wakes up from a flashback, flashback dream of killing that lady like spraying, you know, f- match or whatever lighter and, and aerosol spraying or an, and lady falls over the railing or the stairs, whatever. So she's in that hidden room and she texts, I had that dream again. You? And then yes, because she texts uh, Glenda. Then Glenn texts, you killed that security guard, didn't you? And Glenda's like, I had to. Then she hears laughing. So she goes down. Jennifer Tilly, who we, we see is watching her movie again the one with uh jim carrey and she's like smoking she's drinking and glenn's like you don't get to play the victim you know because she's like oh whatever i'm watching you know she's like you don't get to play the victim she's like you murder people and jennifer's like it's it's an addiction she's like have a little compassion and she's like i can't help it i just like to murder people and glenn's like i don't even know who you are and jennifer's like what well, yeah i could say the same thing i don't know who you are and Glenn's like, well, what am I supposed to think? You're keeping a, a prisoner who you dismembered? You, 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 I'm supposed to think that's normal? Then Jennifer's like, if you must know, Nika is my girlfriend, and sometimes your father. <laughs> and she's like, stop lying to me, because you know it's true, Nika is her father sometimes. You know, Chucky possesses her. And then she's like, don't take that tone with me. She's like, I may be a murderer, but I'm still your mother. And Glenn's like, okay, mom, then who's Tiffany Valentine? And she's like, I'm not saying anything until you tell me where Glenda took Nika. And then you know, Glenda's just uh or Glenda is just like looking at her. Then she's like, Well, since you have nothing to say and then she like leaves the room. Lexi and Nadine return to the room from the bathroom, and Nadine starts like spraying the bloody area or whatever, and then Lexi hears something in the closet. So they're like all worried. Uh, she hands Lexi like something, it was like a, I don't know, it wasn't like a paddle. I, I don't know what it was, it was like not even that big. And she's got like the spray bottle. So if there's something in the closet, they're gonna hit it with this little thing and with the spray bottle. So they, they, they go over there, Trevor's body's gone. And then Nadine's like, maybe it's a miracle? Jake is like wiping the blood off good Chucky's mouth and nose. And he's like, you you saved us back there. He's like, you're basically my hero. And Chucky's like, I'm just doing my job. And Jake's like, What did it feel like when when you killed him? And he's like, Chuck, good Chucky's like, like I finally knew what I was for. And Jake's he's like, Okay, boy wonders. And he's like, Holy homicidal something, whatever. And he's like, starts thinking about Gary. So I, I still can't tell: Is Good Chucky really good, or is this all? I mean, it's he's got to be good because I don't think this is an act. But then Lexi and Nadine come in and they, they they're he, Jake's like, What's up? And they're like, Trevor's Trevor's gone. And Jake's like, What? Uh, then he's like then he asks, like, Have you seen Devin? And Lexi's like, No. So it's like they don't know how many Chuckies there are and then they're like, Well, what if they got Devin? And Jake's like, Nah, he's fine. He's just being dramatic and punishing me. So she's like, You know, I know you two are going through a rough patch, but you both love each other. It's like, you know, we have other things to deal with. You know, you need to, you know, Solve, figure this out, you know, like not worry about the 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 fighting that they're doing, and then he's he's like, well, who would take Trevor's body? And Nadine's like, well, maybe an ally. Good Chucky's like, or an enemy. So like the fact that he said that, it's like, what does that mean? So I just I don't know if I if I trust Good Chucky. Father Bryce is talking to Devon. He says that you know I I tried to give you the benefit of the doubt blah blah all this like this you know just goes on a bunch of stuff. Then Devin's finally like you're right. He's like you know it's just a bunch of pranks pulled off by traumatized teenagers whatever like that. So then Bryce gives him a Bible and he like tells them to to read read whatever some some book from the from the Bible. So he leaves him in a chapel to read and in his office he has a uh, sister Ruth and sister Catherine and Doctor Mixter. So I I don't know she just happened to be nearby or something like that. Then, you know, you're talking about, like, you know, who could be blame- who Who's to blame for this? You know, he's, like, asking, like, the sisters, like, you know, where were you? while well, the kids were running around the hall and, you know, stuff like that. And he's, like, Devin is sitting in a chapel reading the Bible by himself. And Sister Catherine's, like, is that a good idea? It's, like, you know, maybe they need someone to talk to. You know, it's, like, are they being punished for blasphemy or for pre creative prowess? Because, you know, she's basically saying that, you know, their kids and kids rebel and, you know, against the institution and stuff like that. And Sister Ruth's, like, well, why not both? Sister... You know, so this is Sister Catherine says they're a challenging Institution and then Mixer's Like well you know I have to say I do Agree with Father Bryce you know this does cross The line you know because Chucky's still Hanging out on the wall and Catherine says that you know Devin is a Traumatized kid and he points To the doll he's like that's not trauma That it's evil So Father Bryce says to Mixer he's like maybe you know This isn't the, the best place for them so maybe Like a, a more serious like Juvenile institution or something like that then he tells Sister Ruth, he's like, "Take that body, whatever." And he's like, "Get rid of that." So she pulls it down, and then she walks out and she throws it in a garbage can. So then we see a close up of a, a page from the Bible that Devin is supposed to be reading. It's like, "You shall not lie with a male as with a woman; it is an abomination." And you know, it's like all this crap like that. Devin starts; he's just mad, starts ripping pages out of the Bible, whatever. And then he just takes a Bible, throws it at this like lit up like crossed it's like on a pedestal whatever so then Jennifer is sitting with her sister Meg in the living room and she's drinking again and you know Glenn's in there too so Meg's like well I hope you know Glenda returns you know soon or comes home whatever and Jennifer Talks about how they're usually inseparable. She's like, they are always up to something together. And Meg's like, yeah, we were like that too. She's like, remember in high school with those two boys? And she's like, what were their names? You know, and and then Jennifer, she's like, uh, she's like, oh, I don't know, that was so long ago and stuff like that. So she, obviously, she can't remember. Then there's a, a flashback. We see Tiffany the doll wanting to be famous, casting the spell to switch bodies. You know, you see there's actual Jennifer Tilly. She's tied up. She asks Meg how long she planned to stay, and she's like, "Well, as long as it takes." So Jennifer excuses herself and she goes into this locked room, this other locked room, and there's like this giant bird cage, just like covered up. So she pulls the cover off. The Tiffany doll is in there, and there's like an adding machine, and she's writing checks. So Jennifer hands her like some mail. She's like, "More bills." She's like, "And do you have a check for me?" So she looks at it on the back. She wrote, "Help me. I'm a prisoner in my own house." And then she's like, looks at it, she rips up, she's like, now you're just gonna have to write a, a, a new one. And then she's like, well, you know, but, but there is something that you can do for me. And the Tiffany, Jennifer into Tiffany Dow, is a reason to get kind of confusing. <laughs> so Jennifer into Tiffany Dow, she's like, what more can I do for you? She's like, for years, I've been making you money, I've been playing online poker for you, I've been voicing Bonnie on Family Guy, I pay the bills, I answer all my own fan mail, and for what? She's like a little bit of chocolate, and you know she's like that's all you know all I get. So then uh, Tiffany and Jennifer, she's like, she's like, well, I, ha- I need some answers about you to convince your sister that I'm really Jennifer Tilly. So Devin finally, he's I guess he's done. With, I don't know if he got excused or he just was able to leave whenever he wants. But he he goes back to that room where they're like hanging out, like on, on the other floor. They tell him that Trevor's missing, and he's like, he's what Nadine says that he either crossed over to Narnia or someone took him. And she's like, and I don't think Narnia is real. And Devin just like rolls his eyes. So Devin mentions the good Chucky was texting someone named the Colonel, so maybe they're the one who took Trevor. Then Devin pulls out the, the phone and is like, you know, maybe they should do the good thing. So the battery's dead, so they have to charge it. The good Chucky says, he's like, I sure hope you find Trevor. It's like, who would do that? Devin's like, you would. And he's like, you know, you killed my mother and Lexi's dad. And Jake's like, that was another Chucky. He's like, he would never do something like that. And Devin just stares at him. And a Good Chucky's like, I, I I, have to go. And he runs out. He's sad. And then Jake goes after him. So this time, he's in the bathroom now. So Good Chucky's staring at himself in the mirror. And Jake, you know, comes in. He's like, did I really do all those things? And Jake's like, it's like no, it was like that, that was a different you. He's like, you know, there's, there's a lot of you. Chucky's like, where did they all come from? And Jake's like, I don't really know. It's like, there's this guy named Charles. You know, he actually used to live here a long time ago as a kid. Then he split his soul up, and good Chucky's like, if you know, if I came from someone bad, that means I'm bad too. And that means I I could hurt you. It's like I shouldn't be around anyone. And Jake's like, no. It's like I I, I want you here. Devin and Lexi are staring at the the Chucky charging phone, and they're talking about Chucky and Jake and Lexi says that every time she looks at Chucky, she just sees Junior's face. And Devin says, you know, Jake seems to have like lost touch or whatever. And, and, you know, just going on. And then the phone like starts, like it's finally got enough battery so they can like use it. They start looking at the pictures. There's lots of selfies and and stuff like that. But in some of them, like in the background, there's kind of like blasted or severed doll parts behind him. And Devin thinks he's like, you know, it was like maybe they're like breadcrumbs, you know, like Hansel and Gretel or whatever. He's leaving a trail for himself to find his way back home. He's like, so you maybe, you know, if we we can find that trail, it'll lead us to more dolls or to the colonel. And Lexi's like, should we tell Jake? Jake is with Good Chucky and Nadine. They're in a chapel now. They're going, so they decided they're going to baptize Good Chucky. This way, you know, he'll be good and not bad. Nadine's like, well, you know, we'll need godparents. And Chucky's like, you, you can be my Godfather. And then he, Jake's like, okay. Then he asks Nadine, he's like, you want to be his godmother? I'd love to. Cause she thinks he's so cute, cause he's so sweet, whatever. Then Jake leans him over to the holy water in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, what, all that stuff like that. Then he's like, that's it. You're clean. He's like, you're good now. And he's like, wow. It was so easy. And Lexi and Devin are like outside the chapel and they're looking at him. They're like, oh, they're like just like disgusted. And Devin's like, we're on our own. And then they just, like, turn around and walk down the hall. Then we see Sister Ruth. She's, like, doing paperwork or grading papers or something like that. The garbage can where she threw the Chucky body is, like, rocking a little bit. You know, she, like, looks up, but, you know, it, like, stops. And then there's, like, a thud. And then a bloody hand reaches up, and the can tips over. Muscle Chucky crawls out, I am risen. And she, like, she's, like, shocked. She falls to her knees. She's, like, how can I serve thee, Lord? So she actually thinks that it's you know something religious or whatever so uh tiffany and uh the jennifer tilly body she comes down in a new outfit she's like ta-da so she starts talking about their childhood and and saying all this stuff like that and you need money for an orphanage and this and then meg's like that's the plot of blues brothers and she's like wait are you no it's not and meg's like yeah it is and then jennifer's like that bitch so she's like, I have to have to go. She leaves again, but Glenn and, and Meg follow her. So Tif- Tiffany and Jennifer's body goes in their room. You tricked me, you little troll! And then Glenn walks in with Meg. She's like, Mom! And Jennifer and Tiffany in Tiffany in a doll body. Meg, she's like, Meg, it's me, Jennifer. I'm I'm in here, and she's reaching out. She's like, Please, please help me. I'm trapped. So Tiffany and... Jennifer Tilly's body pulls out a blade and then Jennifer in the Tiffany body. She's like, look out. Then Tiffany starts slashing over and over and over and over again like that. And Glenn is just like watching, like shocked. And then Meg falls, big pool of blood around her body. And Glenn's like, who are you? And she's like, my name is Tiffany Valentine and I'm your GD mother. So Lexi and Devin are walking through the woods. They're finding lots of doll parts all over the place then uh jennifer is is yelling tiffany tells glenn she's like mommy's here and then jennifer is yelling over and over again she's like i hate you i hate you so glenn's like you lied to us our whole lives and she's like it's complicated she's like i just you know i want to give you you two everything and she's like tiffany valentine was a loser so i wanted to be a you know beautiful movie star and for you to be proud of me she's like i was you know never really good at being jennifer tilly she's like and I wasn't a good mom either. She's like, I was trying to be, you know, somebody that I wasn't. And she's like, I did the same with the same thing to you kids. And Glenn's like, What do you mean? And she's like, I have one last birthday present. And she brings out this like long wooden box. So Glenn opens it. It's the Glenn doll in there from from the movie. And you know, Glenn takes it out. Gasp! It's me. And what about Glenda? And. Tiffany and Jennifer's body like, it's for them too. So Glenn's like, I need to show this to them. Tiffany is like, then let's go get them. So then they burned the house down. And at first I was like, wait, did they get Jennifer, Tilly, and the Tiffany body? But they did. So she's tied up in the back seat next to the, the Glenn doll. The Glenn doll is just inert, just like, you know, just a regular doll. But Jennifer is in the Tiffany's doll. <laughs> uh tiffany and jennifer's body is driving she's wearing like sunglasses even though it's night and then glenn is in a passenger seat out in the woods they find this like there's a section with a lot of like chucky heads on sticks and, and whatever just like parts around Devin's like what the fudge happened here and lexi says well a, a good chucky is a win right there's a cabin nearby so you know they're like oh somebody must be inside they look in the window and there's like there's like a couple of bodies on the ground. I think it's like the the priest that when Nadine was confessing whatever and there's like some other. So Andy is lying on a on a cot. And I think he's gagged. And then then who walks in? Dr. Mixter walks in. And she's like, "Charlie." And then there's this another doll with no hair. So this is Charles, but she's calling him Charlie. And the doll's like, "That's Colonel to you." And he's like cutting at Andy's leg and he's like <laughs> Because he's gags, so he's screaming. So I guess after the van, after Andy drove the, the van with all the dolls off the cliff, they must have survived, but I have no idea how they got there. Why is Charlie calling himself the colonel unless it had something to do with the flashback when he was younger? I, I don't know. But, uh, yeah, things were, were kind of crazy. So that was, uh, that was this week's Chucky. Okay, then we have Stargirl season nine or see how about season three episode i'm still bummed that this is the last season season three episode nine frenemies chapter nine the monsters so it starts off cameron's grandma's looking at this old photo album whatever there's this like painting of icicle um his, his wife and cameron like above like the fireplace or something like that then she walks over to cameron's room she opens the door the bed's already made grandpa walks i forget the grandpa's name grandma's name is lily i think grandpa i don't remember i don't care he says uh, it's like oh he went out to the garden to practice his his sculpture and then he uh she sees something because you know she's so nosy and everything like that there's like a piece of paper like under some books so she pulls it and she's like i told him no more art it's like he has to think about the family duties or something like that so she kind of like Crinkles it and like throws it in the garbage, but then it, some like ice blast got on it too. It's a picture of Courtney that he drew. Then Barb is sitting on the stairs at the house. Pat and Courtney walk in. She hugs them. They you know they look exhausted, or whatever. Courtney's like, "Oh, you know, we got some some sleep on the bus." And she's like, "Where's?" And Barb's like, "She's in your room." I'm talking about Yolanda. Uh, she goes up and then Barb asks Pat, "She's like, Are you okay?" He's like, "Yeah." And she's like, "You went to that place." And she's like, "What did you see? He doesn't say anything, and then she just like hugs him. So Yolanda's like sitting in the uh, like the the window, like, Courtney's like in a little what call it thing, And she's looking out, and Courtney walks in and she stands up, Yolanda, court, and then they walk across the room and hug, "I'm sorry, me too Woo-hoo. <laughs> It was a little cheesy, but it was it was that's fine. Then in the kitchen. Pat's like, I have to go down to the garage. And Barb's like, You have to rest. And he's like, It's like, no, nah. you know, it's like, we got the cameras down, but we you know, still don't know who's behind it. I have to help Sylvester out. And she's like, You know, with what you've been through, she's like, You know, just please talk to me. So then he's like, Well, I, I saw my dad. You know, he was, a, it was the same twisted stuff he said to me when I was a kid. He's like, But that place just, you know, makes me, it made me feel like I was following my father's footsteps, like making me feel like, you know, Making, I'm making Mike think he's he's not good enough and she's like it's like no, it's like don't think that and she's like you know Mike is bright and smart and he's kind and he knows that you love him Pat says he's like I never really talked about Mike's mom have I she's like no he's like I didn't even know about Mike until after we split up and then when I found out you know I Never been, you know, so happy. It's like nothing could stop me from being in his life. We shared custody for a couple of years. Then one day, there's a policeman at my door with Mike. He had been in a shelter overnight alone, and Maggie had just left him there. And you know, she didn't even turn up until after she'd been arrested for possession. So I got sole custody, and she didn't even put up a fight. She just walked away from Mike. And you know, he would ask if he could see her and if he could talk to her. And I tell him no, and after a while he just stopped asking. And I thought that I was protecting my, you know, treating, you know, like, treat, treating her like she didn't exist. He's like, now I don't know. And Barbara's like, well, when Courtney's father came to Blue Valley, she blamed herself for all that hurt it caused her. But she thinks that Courtney did get some closure from it, and it made her stronger, and it made them stronger. So she's like, sometimes letting their kids face the pain is the only way that they can learn to deal with it. So, you know, maybe Mike needs to see his mom again. Pat's like, I don't know. So Yolanda and and Courtney are talking about Yolanda's parents. And Yolanda's like, you know, she's like, well, I I couldn't tell them what I was doing at night. Because, you know, Courtney's like, I can't believe they kicked you out or whatever. And, you know, Yolanda's like, you know, they would never understand. And Courtney's like, well, you don't know that. Yolanda's like, I know I can't trust them. She's like, they tell everyone. And, you know, it's, it's about everything just to, to try to control me. And it's, it's not just my secret, you know, it's, it's Courtney's and, and Pat's and Rick's. And, and Courtney's like, well, I need to apologize to Beth and Rick too, but there's something else I need from you. I need your support. Then we see Jakeem and Mike, they're at the diner. Mike says that, you know, they should quit their paper route so they can like try to do this hero stuff. Jakeem's like, my dad would kill me. And Mike says that, you know, finding the killer is more important, you know, and it earned them mega hero points. Jakeem says that they'll find him, but you know he's also concerned about Cindy. And Mike's kind of surprised. Jakeem says that you know she stood up for us, but we didn't stand up for her, and she's out there alone, turning into a crocodile. So then this guy with a cane walks to Cameron's. It, it's Paul, the art teacher. Grandparents answer, and he's like, "You may not remember me, whatever." And he's like, "I'm I'm Cameron's art teacher." He's like, "May I come in?" They go to the study. They're always going into study since so everyone always goes there. So he once talked to, talk to him about Cameron. They're like, I don't know if you know this, but he quit art. And she's like, yes, he has other things that he's interested in now. Paul's like, why? You know, he's so passionate about it. And he says that he, he, he's like, I know he lost his father. You know nothing. And then Paul says that he sees Cameron giving up on something he loved. He's like, I can't just watch him throw it away. She starts talking to her husband, the grandpa in their language, whatever it's none of his business, blah, 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 It's like that. And then she like shoots an icicle in his chest. And she's like, it doesn't matter what the man says now, he's dead. And the grandpa's like, uh, she's like, what are you doing? At the garage, Pat's sitting at the computer. He searches Maggie and Reno, uh, who are her last name and her, whatever. Her address and phone number come up. Then Crusher walks in and he wants to see how he's doing. And he's like, you know, where's Sylvester? Pat says that Beth, that Beth tracked a, a feed to a mine in Utah, so he went to check it out. Then right at that moment, he calls on the radio he says like a dead end signal, you know, they're like bouncing all over the place. So they're just going to have to try to figure out, you know, the next place if, if that's where it's coming from. So he's on his way back and then Crusher's like, well, who are you looking for? And Pat's like, Mike's mom. He's like, I, I need to figure out if she's in any shape to talk to him. And, you know, he's like, it's kind of a long story. Then Crusher's like, well, then then let's hear it. Pat's like, uh, you know, no offense or anything, you know, blah, blah. So, you know, then Crusher's like, you know, you ought to know by now. You can trust me. So let's hear it. So, and it, it does seem, you know, you have to admit. I, th- I think krusher is a good guy. You know, he he talks about, you know, he he's glad that they don't have to play or you know be like angels now, you know, with all the cameras watching them. But the fact is, you know, he does know their secrets and everything. He hasn't said anything. Yeah. So I don't know. And then you know they want to be good parents for Artemis at school lunch. Courtney tells Beth and Rick that she's sorry. She never told him about Cameron. It was never her intention to put Cameron before them. And, you know, also like that. Best, like, thanks, you know, whatever. And then, you know, she's like, apology accepted. And Rick's just like, okay, we're good. And then Courtney pauses and Yolanda's is like, go on, Court. And like, what is it? She says that she wants to tell Cameron everything. And Rick's like, what? Why? And Courtney's like, because I can't be with him if I can't be honest with him. I have to tell him about the JSA, about his father, about me being Stargirl. She's like, I'm asking you for your support, and Rick's like, no. She's like, every time you share our our secrets, it makes all of us less safe. And for that kid, because you like him, Courtney looks over at Yolanda, and Rick's like, don't tell me you knew about this. And Yolanda's like, yeah, I did. So I actually, I know I've been kind of complaining about Yolanda, especially the way she was acting towards towards Cindy. It's complete like turn her character. Uh, the fact that you know she has Courtney's back and everything. So I it was actually I'm I'm back to being uh, on whatever liking Yolanda before she was just so annoying he's like you got to be kidding me and she's like look I was wrong about Cindy not completely wrong just a little wrong and Courtney you know wants to tell him about his dad and why they had to stop him you know he can't go his entire life not knowing and you know Courtney says she knows that there's a lot of risk but once they get through it and she knows that they will they'll all heal so she needs to tell him the truth and Beth's like "Uh, should we vote on it Rick's like don't bother and I, I I love the way the actress playing Yolanda, she like kind of scoffs and she's like very like subtly, very lightly, like kind of like shakes her head. She's like, I can't believe you. And Courtney sighs and Rick's like, you do what you got to do. I got your back. And then Courtney and Yolanda like smile. He's like, I've got everyone's back here no matter what. And you all know that because you are my family. Nothing will ever change that. But don't say that I didn't warn you. And then he like, reaches like, and kind of like touches hourglass on his belt. It's like, it's almost like this is a security thing. Barb and Paula are at ripped city at the gym at Crusher's gym. And Paula's like, why don't we start off with how to shatter a man's spleen? You know, she's like, I got a punching bag. And, uh, Barbara's like, uh, I don't know about that. Then Paula's like, well, why don't we just call it self-defense since there's a voyeuristic killer on the loose. Barb's like, you know, I appreciate what you're trying to do. You're a good friend. And Paula gets like this weird look on her face. She's like, what's wrong? And she's like, no one's ever called me a friend before. And she's like, right, that can't be true, whatever. And again, Paula is a good friend. Even though she's a little little intense. At school, Jakeem, you know, he's like, Okay, he does he wishes to open Cindy's locker, Cindy at Blue Valley, blah 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 like that. It actually opens and, th- and Thunder, you know, he's like, I don't know, you know, this is kind of a gray area since it's kind of like breaking and entering, you know, unless you're looking for clues. And so they, they go in there, they take like her books or notebooks, and there's like this pouch or whatever like that. Then they go in the bathroom. They don't find anything, but then Jakeem finds, there's like a sheet of paper in a book. He pulls it out. He's like, oh, it looks like it's a list of, of her father's laboratories. They're all crossed off except for one. And Mike looks at it, you know, they're, they're, he, Jakeem says, the Eder Produce Farm. He, he knows where that's at. Courtney goes to Cameron's. She's a little nervous. She knocks on the door. He answers. And he's like, oh, hey, Courtney. He's like such a dork. I guess he didn't go to school today. Whatever. She asks if she can come in. They need to talk. And he doesn't like freak out because that's usually like, like bad. And as the camera kind of pulls back, you see there's like a walking cane in the garbage can by the street. It's like, oh, that's real subtle. It's like you kill a guy and you're just going to leave a walking cane, you know, sticking out. You know, and just in case anyone walks by and, and notices it, whatever. Beth, Yolanda, and Rick are walking down Main Street. Uh, Rick gets, like, this headache, and they're like, is it from the hourglass? He's like, oh, no, no, whatever. But then Beth starts getting a signal, so she puts on on the goggles, and she thinks it could just be another false signal. And, you know, she's, like, looking around because it comes from somewhere. And then she, when she turns to Rick, because, uh, you know, he's like, where is it coming from? And, and on the, the the readout, it's like agitation level elevated and rising. She's like, uh, it's it's coming from the, the Ma Kent residence, Cameron's place. Suddenly, it's like nighttime. It's like, what happened to the day? Courtney's like looking at the snow globes in the study. And then Grandma Lily, she comes up. She's like listening outside the door. She's so annoying. Courtney's like, like oh, I never noticed them before. And Cameron's like, yeah, my dad collected them. Every time he we went on a business trip, he'd, he'd bring me back one. He called them his trophies. And Courtney's like, oh, he went on a lot of business trips. And Cameron's like, Yeah, sometimes I wake up and I I think he's still on a business trip And he's like, Then I remember. Courtney's like, I I need you know, actually need to talk to you about your father, about what happened to him. And Cameron's like, Oh, I, I told you I don't really know much. You know, he was trying to do something to help the world, but he was killed for it. And she's like, That's not exactly what happened And then he's like, What are you talking about? She's like, Let me explain it all before you say anything. Your father he wasn't who you you think he was. Then Lily storms in. That's enough. And then her husband tries like stopping her. Camera's like, what's going on? Then the door like like on the, the half level below in the study, it explodes open. Rick in the our man costume comes in. He's like, I warned you. And Lily's like, you children, you'll finally die for what you have done. And her eyes go white. Outside, uh, Yolanda in the wildcat costume and Beth in the midnight. Yeah. Uh, costume they come up Yolanda's like why didn't he wait for us and Beth's like well he's not thinking straight you know he messed with the hourglass and Yolanda's like explain it later and she like jumps up to like the second level and she tells Beth to wait out there she's like well you know fighting's not really your thing Rick says that he's like they're the ones who've been watching us and then he like jumps up and he gets blasted by ice by, by Cameron and Courtney's like she's trying to stop them uh, grandpa's like pulls Lily out of room and Cameron's like we have to get out of here and Courtney's like that's Rick and Rick charges at Cameron. He lifts him over his his, his head and like slams him down. And kind of you know, Cameron's in a little bit of pain. And then Courtney, she ended up get, she got flung against the wall, and she looks kind of hurt too. Yolanda sees uh, like the grandparents go down the hall. Grandma shoots a couple blasts at her, but she like dodges and jumps. You know, does a like flip in the hallway, whatever. Then Grandpa turns the other way, and, and Beth's somehow Beth's in there. She must have gone in this other way. And she gets a call at that moment from her dad just as grandpa's like starting to ice up. She's like, dad, it's not really a good time. He's like, how are you even calling? Because she had blocked him. He's like, oh, it's, it's from a different line, from a burner phone. And grandpa's like, leave us be. He sends like an ice blast down the wall. And it's like things start, like pictures start shattering towards her. She ducks around a corner. Um, Yolanda's still fighting grandma. Uh, she gets into like this good like kick, like hit and kick combo, whatever. But she gets hit with a, a little ice blast, shrugs it off. Then Grandpa is going after Beth. Dad's still talking to her. He's like, we talked to Dr. McNighter, Mick, Mick and he says that you have to activate combat mode. And she's like, combat mode? Combat mode activated. <laughs> so the goggles turn from green to red. So And they mentioned it, or the dad, her dad mentioned, the combat mode is still untested, and it says that on the, on the display. We also see there's a stealth mode untested, and then there's like an image of like the, whoever's wearing you know, the goggles to like cape shield or whatever. And then it's like select fighting style. So she, there's like karate, Krav Maga and stuff like that. And it's like duck roll headshot incoming. You know, so I was like telling her like what's coming up and everything. Rick and Cameron are still fighting. Rick like flips a desk, whatever. It almost smashes Courtney. She like rolls away just in time. And she's like, Stop. And then he grabs Cameron. It almost looked like he broke his arm, but I think he just, like, twisted it or did something, whatever. He grabs, like, a ladder from, you know, from, the, the like, a library ladder thing like that. He just, like, swings it, but Cameron, like, so it's, like, he almost hits Cameron and Courtney. Cameron makes, like, an ice shield, whatever, and then they, like, they just duck away. Then uh, someone busts through a window. It's Artemis and, like, her armor, and she's, like, helping Beth fight Grandpa. Rick and Cameron are still hitting each other. Yolanda gets... Uh, pinned against the, the wall with ice, then Lily like punches her, and at first it's like, wait, did she shatter her? She just go flying into the room because there's no way Yolanda got shattered. Cameron's blast, he like blasts himself towards Rick, and he lands a solid punch to his chest. It's like, okay, he's hitting him with the Our man power. So like, isn't this like a punch like fatal? So then Rick is holding Cameron up, like, by the neck or whatever, and Courtney runs up. She's like, let him go. He, like, shoves her heart across the room. She hits the wall again. Then Cameron sees Courtney, like, just laying on, on – on or sitting on the floor. And then he – he blasts him several times. Lily smile and Cameron kicks him. You know Rick while he's done, Rick, while he's down. Rick is like hurt, and then Lily's like, "Cameron, they killed your father." And Courtney's like, "I." I. Then Cameron's like, Aah. He blasts Rick. He goes flying back into these little stairs. He's like, he's like embedded in the stairs. Then Lily's like, "Do it." So he ices up. He's ready to blast. Do it. And Grandpa tells like, "Cameron, stop." He's like, "This hate. It's what killed your father. Don't let it control you." And he like looks around. He's like, "Don't ignore love." And then Grandpa's, uh, he falls. Beth's like he's having a heart attack. So she's like, I, she, she, I can call my mom. And so then the dad's on the phone too. He's like, you know, the gloves have defibrillators built in. So she's like, okay, she's like clear, and she like hits him. They're like, do it again. Do his, hit charges, you know, clear again. Grandpa wakes up and he's like moaning. And Rick's like still laying there. He's like, Courtney, I'm sorry. Mike and Jakeem, meanwhile, they reach the farm on their bikes. It's, like, again, nighttime. They walk up to this farmhouse. They don't see anyone inside. They look in there. But on the floor, there's, like, a dead body and a pool of blood. Then they're like, oh, let's go check around the back. So they go to the barn, and then as they're walking through, and they're like, oh, we should have brought a flashlight. And Mike's like, you have a living flashlight. So Thunder comes out, and he's, like, glowing and everything like that. So they're walking around. They don't see anyone in there. But then – On the floor is a dead body in a pool of blood. So, you know, then they start hearing a growling. And who jumps out at him? Ultra humanite. So that's like the white girl. I don't really know a whole bunch of ultra humanite. Uh, I've I've read several issues with him from time to time. I don't care for him as a villain because he's just kind of lame and cheesy. But so he's basically like a giant white gorilla. And he's like, I'll kill every last one of you. So this must be the super strong evil thing that killed everyone. What does this have to do with everything? What does it have to do with whoever's watching on the cameras? Is it uh, grandma and grandpa? Is it someone else? Maybe it was ultra humanite. Oh no, because I'm trying to think of the, the hand that punched through the TV last episode. But that's how it ends. So yeah, um, things are, are getting crazy. And again, it stinks that This is the the last season, but at least they're going out on their terms. You know, they they knew this was coming. Okay, and now Star Wars Andor Season 1, Episode 9, Nobody's Listening. (laughs) So Dedra is with Bix. She thinks she's all cool and just like cracks her neck, whatever. And she's like, I don't like wasting time. And she's going gone about like how smart she is or whatever like that. And she mentions like the empire is like throwing nets out, just trying to catch, you know, all the fish, whatever they can like that. She's like, I'm going to take a different approach. And she's like, I'm going to tell you everything that I know to convince you to cooperate. And if that doesn't work, then we have Dr. Gorst. He's developed a unique interview system that, you know, we're very excited about. So it, again, it's, is how is it any more obvious that the empire is a bunch of scum, scumbag, entitled sadists? You know, they they just like, oh, we're just going to torture you. That's cool because we, you know, we want what we want is all that matters, and whatever you're doing doesn't matter. I just I don't do not understand this mentality, and I know this unfortunately, scarily, is like is like this in some countries, but it's like, oh my god. So she reminds Bix that they brought in Solomon Pock last night. They tracked him to uh, to a radio hidden in his yard. They uh, thought that he would co- cooperate. For a man with so little actual re- rebellious activity in his resume, he was remarkably resistant. That's because you guys are big a holes. <laughs> so she's like, that just makes us think that there's more to be learned. So that leads to a longer session. Suddenly, it's morning. And there we are wasting time it was a poor decision his part so she said they they learned everything they wanted to learn and it hardly seems worth the price that he paid so pack attended a separatist meeting two years ago in john dora where he met a woman who said that if he was serious about politics you know he might want to act as a liaison for Ferrex when he returned home so he was sent the fractal radio unit that bix that she used yesterday afternoon This unknown woman seemed more interested in acquiring stolen imperial equipment than politics. So she asked Bix if she knew Salmon Pack was paid to keep the radio alive. And did you know that you were the only one to use it? Were you aware that the buyer, your contact, met Pack only once before being turned over to her? So Bix is, she's like, you are in my net, but are you a fish or a thief? So she see, says it seems a shame to end up like on a chopping block if she's only motivated by money. She doesn't have any recorded history of political troublemaking, and she's a business owner. So Deidre would prefer a conversation than putting the doctor back to work. She's like, it's entirely up to you. And Bix like, you're ISB, aren't you? Like, worst of the worst. And Dedra's like, you're going to tell me absolutely everything you know about the buyer. And Bic's like, you seem to... Enjoy this, and Dejah just continues. You're going to tell me all about Cassian Andor and their relationship. Bix like they don't have a relationship. Dejah says you will be giving me a full, detailed accounting of every piece of stolen Imperial equipment you've passed along, where it came from, who was bribed along the way, and where it's gone. Bix like I don't know the buyer, and she's like, really, really. Well, Salman Pak says that you've had at least six meetings that he's aware of. He says that you sit up at that radio for hours at a time. And Biggs says that she signals, sometimes he answers, he comes, he buys, he leaves. Dedra says that you know six face-to-face meetings, uh, then this guy and Andor blew up buildings killing security guards and she was injured trying to warn them, her coworker was killed trying to win her freedom. Andor and the buyer escape together sounds like a nest of relationships. So she's like, when was the last time you spoke with Cassian Andor? And Bix is just like silent. And then Dedra, Dedra stupidly gets in her face. He's like, the very worst thing you can do right now is bore me. It's like, oh my gosh. It's like if if Bix was untied and there's no guards in the room, Bix would probably kick her butt, man. Because Dedra is just like such a... Bix is like, well, you're not going to believe me anyways, are you? And Dedra's slowly is like, no, I suppose not. So she hands her over to the doctor at the prison on the assembly line. Andor says, like, uh, another table's a man down, and they're they're sending a new person down so they can win this round, because if they win, they can get flavor in their food or whatever, and the loser gets zapped. So, uh... Back to the doctor, he's like smiling. Bix is like restrained, and he's like, "Oh, you don't have to worry. It's more for your safety." He talks about a planet where the species was hostile when they were put. They're going to put in this refueling station, and they, they made this like terrible screaming sound as they were being wiped out. So they, they took recordings of it and they modified them. They found a recording that was like primarily children. So I guess this is really sharp and vicious, whatever. And he takes out this headset and puts it on her. He's like, "Oh, it won't take long." And she's like breathing heavily, and then she, she starts screaming. So I guess this noise is just really horrible. I, just, I don't know. At the assembly line, Andor sees an officer or something like that, and he he's like decides to take his run, which I'm, I guess take his break. He goes to the bathroom. There's just like this panel by like the toilet thing. He like opens it. There's like a sharp metal thing. He starts like cutting this pipe. I have no idea what he's he's doing. Then this alarm goes off. So, new man on the floor. So, like, hold your position. So, they have to go back, you know, put the hands on, on the head, whatever, and all like stand in line. Andor's like, two men back. He's like, two weapons. And then the other guy's like, no boots. So, new guy gets shocked. You know, like, oh, he's touching the railing. And the other guy's like, the elevator's not wired. So, they're like trying to observe everything, see how, like, what is wired, what's not, what, you know, they can do and so forth. So, like, nothing that moves can fry you. and Andor's like, I have a new idea. So Bix is groaning and breathing heavily. And then Dedra takes her face in her hands. She's like, should we begin? She's like, when was the last time you spoke with Cassian Andor? Then it cuts to Dedra's getting ready to leave. She tells this dude to keep her there and keep her alive as a hostage. And she's like, she's a witness. She's the only one that we have who can identify access. Then dude's like, well, what about Solomon Pock?" You know, it's like I'd like to hang him to, you know, sort of make sure that they know who's in charge. And she's like, "As you wish." So again, complete, utter scumbags, C- trash, down with the empire. <laughs> At the senate, Mon-Math- Monmatha is talking about you know she, she brings up the those that are opposition at emperor's new public safety legislation you know is there anything more important than the empire's overreach there's a the public order resentencing directive it's a next step on an all too predictable march towards complete unchallenged authority and as people are like yelling during this and someone's like she speaks the truth and others are like Boo. so there's like you get like both sides or whatever as she's just like going on and giving her, her talk or speech or whatever, some of the discs, like all the little senator discs, some of them are like their lights are turning off. So like, I don't know people are just walking out or they just they don't want to listen to her. I have no idea. And she says that their duty is to those who sent them there, you know, who, who are supposed to be representing in the Senate and everything like that. Then it cuts to her getting into her vehicle after the session. Drivers like they called from your residence. Your cousin has arrived. And she, she seems surprised by this. At the prison, they're doing the changing of the shift. So they're all like lined up waiting. And, uh, you know, they're like in the hallway and, or ask the sign, the guy doing a sign language through the window. He's like, What are they saying? He's like, I, I think it's level two. And then the power cuts down and it comes back on after a few seconds. So Kino Love, Andy Serkis, Kino, Kino Lo, what's his name? Kino, whatever. He's like, Oh, it's nothing. Um, then an alarm goes off and the guy's like, Something's really wrong on level two, the sign language guy. He's like, it's on the other side. And Kino's like, stand in line. He's like, hands on head. And, you know, then they, they start moving. So, Mon arrives home. Uh, Lita, her daughter, is excited to see what Aunt Vel brought her from Tasio Moon. So, Vel is apparently Mon Mantha's cousin. So, Mon is like, how's it been? And Vel says, you know, you know, she's been traveling for six months. She's like, well, there's a lot to see. And then quietly she's like, the Empire doesn't rest, Mon. And you know, rebellion comes first. Mon's like, and Mon asks, what does he have you doing? And she's like, Who? She's like, You're the one to worry about, you know, trapped here in a box or something like that. So, you know, Mon Moth is basically like, like she's she's worried that her cousin's doing dangerous things, which she is, but whatever. At the prison, it's chow time, you know, they're in their little cells eating your thing. Andor asks Kino if he ever thinks about escaping. And he's like, You know, I won't answer that. He's like, Oh, I'll take that as a no. And he's like, How many guards? And Kino's like, If you want to get out of here alive, turn that part of your mind off. Then Andor's like, How many shifts do you have left? And Kino's like, 217. So then Andor asks him to tell him what he knows before he goes. And Kino's like, He says, and he's like, You've been warned. And Andor's like, You think they're listening? He's like, You think they care what we say? Andor says that he knows that they don't need to care. All they need to do is turn this floor on, you know, twice a day. Keep the numbers rolling. He's like, why bother listening to us? He's like, we're nothing to them. He's like, Melch is right. Melch is one of the other guy. He's like, we're cheaper than droids and easier to replace. Kino decides to lay down, like, and is caught with his back to Andor. And Andor just repeats, he's like, nobody's listening. He's like, how many guards on each level? Then Kino turns his lights off. Nobody's listening. Nobody's listening name of the episode part of Gaz, uh he's they're doing a little little meeting thing he asked dedra about dr gorst and he's like oh you're using you brought dr gorst and she's like yes he's like the interrogation was thorough he's like we have no reason to believe anything was with, withheld you know but there's no id on access she says it's disappointing but it does suggest that that there's something to what, what he's doing uh, he runs a very disciplined operation and one that's large enough not to be reliant on any one network or supplier. Bix gave a list of every piece of gear that came through Ferrix. She thinks that they've already got a match to a targeting unit recovered from a safe house operated by a rebel cell associated with Maya pay. I don't know what that is or who that is. She wants to highlight Andor's involvement because he returned to Ferrix three nights ago after Altani with money in his pocket. So this other asks, he's like, well, that could be from the sailor, the star path unit. And Agar's like, well, it can't be. It's like, they left it behind, right? Part like, you're trying to connect Althani? He's like, that's a bit of a stretch. And another's, um, I think it was uh, Dedra's assistant's like, he was clean shaven. It's like, oh my gosh, he shaved. That must mean he was on Althani. He's like the rebels at Al were clean shaven. A couple soldiers said that there was uh, some similarity at you know with, with at the garrison. And Partiga Gas is like, well, that that is worth running down. A connection to Al would certainly amplify interest. And someone asked Dedra about her not questioning the mother. And she says that she decided to wait. Better to leave her in place and stand back. She's too old and frail for anything serious, and she could be their bait. So that's why Andor came back. So they're on her, they're watching her full-time. At the prison shift change, uh, someone asks if they've heard anything about Unit 2-5, unit, uh, and they don't know anything. Someone says that they were fried out. Another's like, they were killed. They're all gone, you know, both shifts, 100 men. And Kino's like, who said this? and the guy's like a maintenance tech they had to send a team down another says that they told zinska and andrew's like why and they're like ask him so zinska tells kino that they heard that they were um, giving trouble and in a voice like on program feet down just the one older guy who's supposed to be leaving soon whatever he's you know he He's like, what did he say? And the other's like, they set them all free. And Kino starts like punching a guy in the gut. <laughs> he's like, what? Andor yells at Kino. He's like, get on program. He's like, we have to be careful. He's like, the less they think we know, the better. So then Kino puts his his hands on his head. He tells them to tighten up. He's like, it's a rumor. He's like, maybe true, maybe not. He's like, we've heard nothing. Just another day, another shift. Keep your mouth shut. Head down. And softly, he's like, until we know what's going on. Karn is eating. He's eating that cereal stuff or whatever. His mom talks to him about being up early, and he says that he's been, um, he have been searching my room again. And she's like, oh, I've been cleaning. You know, she's like, I like a tidy house. He's like, You've been in my private box. I have ways of knowing. She says that she's like, I find you a job. I pressed your uniform. Prepare two meals a day. I, you know, move mountains to scrape you off the floor to put you back on your feet. And what do you? What do I reap? And she's like, What's the return on my investment? And he's like, "We're talking about you. We were talking about you snooping on me." She calls him a shadow of a son, a tenant, a stranger, and she talks about him being away and neglected. Then he picks up his bowl and he starts like loudly slurping as as, you know she's talking to him. And he puts down the the bowl. He's like, "I've been promoted," and she's silent and she smiles. She's like, "I knew they'd recognize your promise, Uncle Harlow will be pleased." At the assembly line, the old guy. He seems like he's going to mess up. I kept waiting for him, like the because you know, at some point, so, like, you clear your hands and you move in big part. I was like, Is he going to get his hand smashed or sh- chopped off or something, whatever? At Mons, are having dinner. Her husband is asking questions about asking Val questions. He's like, Oh, you're here for one night only? He's like, Oh, that's a shame. Are you no husband yet? He, and then he's like, Oh, do you remember Tay Colma? And she's like, I do. And the daughter's like, Mother's old boyfriend. And Mon's like, what? And then she's like, you told her that? And the dad's like, emphasis on old. And Mon's like, we were in grade school together. You know, so she's like, there's nothing like that. Later, Abel asks her about Tay. And Mon's like, money. Mon asks her. She's like, and she tells her, she's like, "Can you be a spoiled rich girl for a while? Remind people that's who you are, because so people don't get suspicious and wonder what, like, what she's doing all the time." Vels says that she's, she'll try. They've chosen a side, so you know they're making something out of their lives. We see Bix. She's still like, <sighs> like breathing raggedly, and you know, she's just like wiped out from from the torture session. Karin is uh waiting around and just like. Lobby area All these people Are walking around Where, where like the, the Where part us Holds the meetings Whatever The ISB Holds a hold meeting Dedra walks up And she's like Surprised to see him there And he's like I wanted to thank you for, for the promotion She's like I had nothing to do with it He's like Well my boss Seems to think that you did She's like I simply gave you A clean bill of health So she's like Have you been waiting out here And he's like Yes He's like You're not easy to reach And I wanted to thank you And to Um follow on with the conversation that we had last month she's like that wasn't a conversation you were brought in for questioning and she's like are you stalking me (laughs) which it just it seemed kind of funny he's like I know you work here and I sometimes you know come by to see if I'll see you which is a little creepy (laughs) you're just gonna like hang out like hope that you see her she's like I am an ISB supervisor do you have any idea how much trouble you're in right now He's, he says that he thought he had ruined his life. He thought he was done. She understood how dangerous Cassian Andor was. So just being, just him being in her presence, he realized that life is worth living. So he realized that if nothing else, there was justice and beauty in the galaxy. And he you know just kept going. Perhaps his, his deranged belief that there was something better fated for him in the future was a dream worth clinging to. So I don't know if he has a crush on her when he says beauty in the universe or just a beauty in the justice of the universe. She tries to walk past him and he like, he kind of pours but he grabs her arm. She's like, I could have you arrested. He's like, are you aware of that? And he says that he wants what she wants and, you know, he senses it, he knows it. She's like, you're out of your mind. It's like, if you come near me with any of this, I swear I'll have you in a cage on the outer rim. She makes it to her office. Her assistant says that they just picked up a rebel pilot using a stolen Imperial masking unit. So they're holding onto him on a destroyer office steer guard. She's like, I'll get Dr. Gorse and send him out there immediately. And he's like, I already did. Um, do you want to go? She's like, there's no time. She's like, I'll interrogate remotely. She's like, good work. Tay tells Mon that, she's, that he's been over the accounts and he wished that she'd call him sooner. It's like, there were better ways to do this. Uh, So before she plans on doing any further donations, they have to make sure that none of her early whatever things can come back to haunt her. And she's like, they can't all be hidden. He's like, well, there's a 400,000 credit withdrawal. That's proving a bit of a problem. It appears on a ledger and then it vanishes. So, you know, it needs to be papered over. And she's like, how he's like, well, the easiest would thing would be to have a deposit. And she's like, well, if I had that much you know, sitting around, I wouldn't need to call you. So she's like, how much trouble am I in? He's like, well, no trouble at all unless they scan the accounts. And she's like, well, that's coming. She says that she needs a loan, and he's like, well, of like a certain kind. He's thought this over, apparently, and he has someone in mind. And she's like, who? He says, devil Skuldun," And she's like, he is not a banker. He's a thug. And so he's, Tay says that he's talked to him already, and says that, you know, she's, you know, what what she, what, what did you tell him? What's he going to think? So he's like, he, he, she can say that she's caught up by the new tax law or something like that, and she's like, 400000 He's like, what will he think? And he's like, just like what everyone else, you know, she wants what's hers, and so he wants to meet here. And she's like, you must be joking. She's like, you know, him there, whatever, her place. Dedra talks to Pardigas and a couple others about the the lone pilot he's telling him that there's a so he's been interrogated i guess already so he's spilled the beans and everything he's telling him that there's a, a raid planned on a power station at Spellhaus. So this is what Luthen talked to Saw about meeting with that Krieger guy. So Krieger is going to notice soon that the pilot's missing. They can't just let him go, but they can't keep him. just suggests, uh, like you know, killing him, making it look like it was a chemical accident or something like that, and the pilot's dead. The, sh- the ship's just like drifting at the traffic or something like that. Partigas says he likes that suggestion, but you know they have to be careful. At the assembly line, the old guy's groaning as he works. The buzzer sounds on program. So the the old guy he just like can't stand he can't put his his hands up. Andor tries telling him he's like you're almost there. And then um, I guess the low table gets zapped. It's not them. They they help the old guy to his cell whatever. Andor's like he needs a doctor. And Kino says you know just take him to his cell. Um, they're, they're like in, they're doing like in the shift change place. But then um, the med tech. Comes, Kino says, he's like, he's only got 40 shifts left. And the, the doc's like, he's had a massive stroke. So he's going to inject them with something. And he's like, he'll feel nothing. And then Andor's like, what happened on two? And the doctor tells Kino, he's like, you better keep your men in line. And Kino asks, he, then he like asks whatever. Doctor says that they made a mistake. A man released on four ended up on two the next day. And word got out on the floor and then they all killed them all. So basically, they let a guy go, but then they brought him back. So they're not setting people free. They're just moving them to different floors, but I guess it was too close or something like that. So Kino's confused. He's like, if he was released and was like, no one's getting out, are they? And then he's like, not now, not after this. At least your friend is free. So basically because the old guy had a, a stroke, there's no way he was going to survive. So he just basically like euthanized him. So then the guard's like, do you need those two? Do they need to be there? He's like, you know, get them going, whatever. So Andor and, and uh, Kino start walking, and Andor's like, how many guards in each level? And he keeps asking him that, and he refuses to answer. Then he's like, never more than 12. So Kino's on board with trying to break out because he knows that it doesn't matter. He's never going to get out. So they have to do this. So maybe something's going to actually happen soon. This show is just so bizarre, but man, it's really making me not like the Empire, even though they're not really doing that much, but it's just, they're just horrible. So that was Star Wars Andor. Okay, then... The Peripheral, Season One, Episode Three: Haptic Drift. So I, I'm digging this this the show. Uh, I'm really, as I, I think I mentioned it last week, that I, I feel like it's kind of ambitious. There's just a lot of world building going on. There's there's a lot happening, and we're finding out more and more. There's still so much that we don't know, like what the heck is going on in this future? Why why have things gotten the way they are? And one of the things I'm as they're in the future part of me I wonder is like what is real and what's not because like when Flynn goes into the future it goes into the peripheral into the whatever robot body it's like when she's talking to Wilf is he really there because it just seems like it's hard to to gauge what's real and what's not because then there's other times where he's like by himself like maybe he went into a peripheral body as well I don't know so it starts off in Clanton, which is the area that like the Flynn and Burton them live, 2015. Uh, Picket motors, We see this big, big sign. These biker dudes pull up. So it's a younger Corbell. He's uh, selling like a, a car loaded with gadgets. It has like bullet. It's bulletproof Kevlar uh, plates in the door panels. Run flat tires. Thermal night vision. Electrified door handles. Spike and smoke deployment from the rear. Explosive proof gas tank. Like all this stuff seems pretty, pretty high tech for 2015. Corbell seems to have um found religion because there's like these giant crosses because one of the the, the leader to do dude, biker dudes whatever he's like what's with those and he says he's like well you've seen those billboards coming to town so he's going to take down the billboards and put the crosses up inside instead but he then the guy's like well if we're going to buy these cars what happens if something goes wrong with them so he promised him that he's going to fix anything that goes wrong with the cars for free for the rest of their lives which kind of key wording there so I think they're buying three of them. So he tells them to, to get in to see how it feels. There's this kid that's been was like washing whatever, something, cars or something else. His name's Jasper. Um, so they're, they're in the, the SUVs, and he's like, what are they saying? So Corbell says, he's like, well, I imagine they're discovering the cars aren't starting and the doors won't open either, which is unfortunate since it's a hot day. It's like 140 degrees, and it takes about an hour um they're like yelling at him like open the door what's going on one guy like starts shooting and corbell says that he must have doubted what he said about the glass being bulletproof so he tells jasper to spray some water on them to remind them how thirsty they're gonna get and the guys inside are freaking out they're like i'm gonna kill you and all this stuff like that corbell's like when you're done he's like lay out the crosses on the pavement so uh we find corbell is uh, is jasper's uncle he and Corbell picket. He says that he'll be back. He just has to fetch a hammer, and then uh the bucket that he was carrying it was like full of these big nails. So it's like, what's he gonna do with the crosses and the nails, huh? In the present, Corbell is swimming, and I think he's swimming naked. Which is like, come on, man. His young wife Mary comes up, and she says that he, they have some choices about the deposit. So he got, I think it was two hundred fifty thousand, like wired to his account. She's like, first, you can refuse it. Let the fishers live out their lives. Stop visiting Old Havana. Um, she's like, Rick's riskiest option is to take the money, kill the fishers. And if, some sort of, if it's some sort of homeland security setup, then Corbell can spend the rest of his days in the Red Onion Supermax feeling like an idiot. Or they could take the money and do nothing. The problem is maybe it isn't a sting and they cross someone with resources at their disposal along with an inclination to solve disagreements in a rather vigorous manner. He's like, I'm not liking any of these. He's like, can't you do better? She's like, Jasper, you know, his wife, you know, Billy Ann is best friends with Flynn Fisher and he asks if he's like, you really want to put something like this on the half-wit nephew? She says, you know, Uh, let the money sit, get Jasper to poke around, find out if anything unusual is happening with the Fishers, then revisit the matter. Just tell the guy in Old Havana that he's busy prepping. So Flynn finds her mama sitting in bed reading newspaper. Later, she fills in Billy Ann about her trip to the future and the bodies in her backyard. Billy Ann, see, this is a a mistake, uh, Flynn. Billy Ann says that if they can tell her about her mother, couldn't they tell her about herself? And Flynn says she's tried asking, but they stonewalled her. Like, they won't tell her, like, what what is Flynn's future? She figures she should stop asking because, you know, it must be hard news for them not wanting to tell her. And But then she's like, you know, what she does know is there's a lot less people in 70 years. There's, like, a whole lot less. So, again, is she really there? You know, I guess she is. I don't know. She uh, goes to work and finds Burton and, and some of the others assembling like assault rifles at the, this 3D print shop place. And she's like, you can't do that in here. And he's like, we can because we they bought it. Uh, he's like, or Milagro's cold iron did. He said he put uh, M- Mekon and Edward in charge. And she's like, I need to talk to you. So he says that you know she needs to be in the headset. And she's like, outside now. So outside, she's like, you made them my bosses? He's like, they're not your bosses. He's like, they can't be your bosses if you own the place, nitwit. And, and, and he's like, and you don't have time to work here anyways. It's like, they need you in London. She asks, why are you acting like you're in charge all of a sudden? He's like, there's a lot of moving parts and you seem like you need to rest. She says that they need to be a team now. Otherwise, none of this poop's going to work. And he's like, I agree then he has to like he notices her hand her clenched hand like we saw it last episode he's like what's up your hand and she's like nothing it's it's just stiff so then connor pulls up and burton tells her to put her bike in the back of his like jeep or truck whatever and she's like you bought it he's like it's a rental so connor says that he woke up he says it's burton he said he woke up from a drunken stupor and guess what he found there's a note that burton left and then Connor tries; he's like trying to unattach his his uh, his chair thing from his his motorized bike or whatever. It's like stuck, and Burton's like, "Do you need a hand?" And he's like, "Oh, she's like, I'm so because so Connor just only has one hand. He has he lost both his legs and an arm? Then he apologizes. Then they start kind of joking because he's going to go inside, and he's like, "You know, be sure to put your your best foot forward." and, and he's like, "You're such a you know whatever." In the car, Burton wants to talk contingencies. He's like, what people need to know and when they need to know it. Uh, he says he told Reese and them that she was playing a sim and she saw something she wasn't supposed to, and now someone wants her dead for it. Then he asks, you know, where does Mama think those drugs came from? Flynn's like, she hasn't asked yet. He's like, well, I I'd, I'd tell her the truth if if I can make it sound half convincing. And Flynn's hand is like really clenched, and he's like, you want to share what's going on there? she says that she keeps losing control of it and you know she says it starts squeezing without her meaning it to and he's like is from the headset she's like maybe then she's like i told billy ann this morning told her what and she's like everything and he's like why the fudge you do that and she just doesn't say anything he's like answer me and she's like gosh dang it she doesn't say gosh dang it she's like don't take that tone with me i'm not a child and he's like then maybe you should stop acting like one <laughs> Cause, okay it's in my attempt i can't help it just with their southern accents I just find it like it's kind of like charming i don't know there's something about it and then she's like pull the car over he's like i'm not gonna pull it over and she's going off on him you told all your friends around that fire and you had you have your own little posse and me it's like billy ann is the only friend i got he's like okay And she's like, well, clearly it's not okay. You're definitely brewing on some other poop that you want to say just to piss me off. (laughs) So I really love just the way they bicker because, you know, the brother and sisters. is just, I I just love their interaction. It's just the acting, the way that the scenes play out. He says that she might want to remember that when she tells Billy Ann something, she's also telling Jasper too. She's like, I told her to keep it a flippin' secret. He's like, that's not how it works with married couples. And she's arguing, whatever, like that. And he's like, who's Jasper's uncle? And then she's silent. Because uh, he kind of is right. Maybe. In the future, Wolf and Lev go into a room. Lev opens, there's this crate with a, like, the Flynn's robo body, you know, whatever thing in there. Wolf's like surprised that it's just in this crate. Lev's like, it's just a thing until her pulse arrives. And Wolf's like, Ash just asked if he ever killed a guy. And he's like, why would she ask that? And Liz says that he was uh, simply reassuring her that he's the right person to find Alita, and he most definitely is. He's like, there's no shame in what you did. Love asks if he ever told anyone what he did to those Prims. I have no idea what that means. And Wolf just shakes his head. He's like, not even to Alita? And he's like, nope. Then Lev says that he'll never be fully himself Until he embraces that part of himself She's like lay claim to that power Then Flynn comes on And and she's like disoriented And, and you know because she's standing up now In the the crate she's like Please tell me you don't keep me in a box when I'm not here And Lev's like no 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 Of course not Flynn fills him in on her uh, the, the Kidnapping the Muriel woman stealing her eyeball Getting into that place Alita running off while she got killed Then she's like, you know, maybe start with the party and find out who Mariel is. Wolf's like, Mariel Raphael, she's assistant security manager at the Research Institute, which is also Alita's place of employment. So Wolf says, Mariel Raphael, assistant security manager at the Research Institute, which is also Alita's place of employment. They must have used her iris to gain access to the Institute's restricted facility. Love says that that makes things... That we're are going to you know follow more complex, Ash says more dangerous too. Then Flynn says it sounds like they're afraid of that place. And Lev says you know minimizing their presence with the RI would be in their collective self interest. Then Flynn asks you know weren't they stealing from it though and using Alita to sneak into her world? And Ash asks you know what connection does she have to a man named Corbell Pickett? And Flynn's like none and she'd like to keep it that way, why? Because Ash says that you know, he's a narcotics manager in her region, quite violent. They show her this news report on the 12 bodies found hanging from the crosses on Sitwell Road. So this is from the 2015 at the beginning. Flynn's like, I know who Corbell Flippin' Pickett is. So the news report says that they were reportedly members at a Mad Dogs cartel. Ash says that they've been monitoring things and saw a considerable spike in interest from his IP address interest in Flynn and her family. So Wolf says that that leads them to believe someone from here might have contacted him, you know, to recruit him, to harm her or something like that. So Flynn says, then they need to send her back. They keep looking. They, they can keep looking for Alita and she'll be back in an hour. So when she returns. Wolf sits in a car and has a, a flashback to him and a girl meeting this couple. So just like with him as a kid. The uh the dude asks the woman whatever if they've been immunized, and the the lady is clearly only his wife is clearly interested in the girl because uh the girl is white, wolf is black. I'm assuming that has something to do with it because they look like they're rich and not necessarily racist, but she's like, how old is she? And then the the girl's like, I'll be ten in twenty seven days. Wolf is eight. And the lady's like, how would you like to live with us? And she's like, well, can Wolf come back? This is what confused me before, because his name is Wolf, but they call him Wilf, W-I-L-F. So here, she's calling the boy Wolf. So then the, the dude in chart, whatever, says that they were found together or something like that. And the lady's like, well, we were only planning on adopting one. And the girl's like, well, I'm not going without Wolf. And then the dudes, the the, the, the guy and the couple, whatever, he's like, do you like your name? Um, and they're like, yeah, it's it's Wolfgang. And he's like, yes, sir. Then he's like, what if we wanted to call you by a different name, something more traditional like uh, Wilfred? And the girl kind of like shakes her head because, you know, he shouldn't have to give up his name because that's his friggin' name. Um, the the w- wolf thinks about it, and he's like, I could be Wilfred. Because, I mean, Wolf. he goes by wolf, which is like wolf, so it's one letter. So Wolf enters his big house. He hears Alita's voice like singing. But it's this robot with kind of sort of her face, like the face is kind of like, like sections, like crisscrossed or whatever. So it's like arranging flowers and singing. Then this older lady comes in, Mrs. West, and she says she's surprised to see Wilfred there. And he's like, hello, Mum." So it was them, obviously, as their kids. They were adopted by Mrs. West and her husband or whatever. So then he asks, you know, when was the last time she w- was here? They they don't mention Alita's name just yet, but obviously that's that's who we're talking about. And she's like, it's been years, you know, prior to your father's death. You know, she's like, I still haven't forgiven you both for not attending his funeral, and because she's like, it was embarrassing or something like that. And he's like, can we not do this now? She's like, well, you know, blah blah blah. Nevertheless, you're asking the wrong questions. It should be when I last when was last time I saw Alita. And he's like, well, when was that? She's like, it was a month ago. I came out of St. James and practically ran into her. He's like, I attempted conversation with Alita, but Alita being Alita, you know, the effort was one-sided. And she's like, I asked her where she was staying, and she got all, like, haughty or whatever. And she's like, where snow last fell in London. She's like, I don't understand why you know at, at, after all these years she still talks like in riddles and she got mad that I didn't know. She said if I paid more attention after you know all these years, and she's like, do you know what that means? And he, he also like, shakes his head. He's like, nope. But it's like, does he know? He he doesn't know at this point. So mom says that you know sometimes she lies awake trying to understand the mystery of the two of them. So in the the, the quote, our, what we're considering the present, Burton tells Flynn that he'll take care of Pickett. And she's like, you can't go and kill Corbell Pickett in cold blood. And Burton's like, well, you said that he was planning on killing us. And she's like, well, that's the kind of person Corbell is. That's not who we are. He says that she may not know this, but the Corps spent a lot of money making him exactly that kind of person. And she's like, well, you're not in the Marine Corps anymore. And he asks if she knows what Sumper means. And she's like, I do. And she's like, I also know what fidelis means. So you should ask yourself, loyal to what? He says, how about this? He's like, you find me a workable plan, or we go with with mine. And then, you know, he he he'll, he'll agree to talk to her first before he makes any decisions. You know, he he kind of leaves with a smile, and she's like, that goes for Connor too. At the trailer, she puts on a peripheral. Now, when she appears, she's in a car with Wolf during drive around London. The car is, uh, it, I guess, it's driving with like Buckingham Palace at the center to see if she recognizes anything, and then they can try to trace her route back to Alita's. She um, thinks about like when they're like the, the the Burton body, whatever, was making out with Muriel, and and then like using the little thing to knock out Muriel. She's like, "What happened to her?" And Wolf says, uh, "Assemblers can work miracles." He's like, "I'm sure she's fine," and she's like. I'm not asking so you can make me feel better. Then Wolf's like, she appears to have vanished. Assemblers can do that too. So she asks if Alita killed her, and he says either Alita or the RI. They, you know They don't take fondly to security lapses there. And she's like, I thought I was just playing a sim. Then she sees a road, she's like, I think we turned down this road. So they like back up, go down there. Then he's like, why don't we uh, take a walk and see if anything jumps out. So then he's like, we can separate, go around, and then we can link up. And she's like, what? So he's like, you know, swipe your finger and then tap the forefinger, or swipe your thumb and forefinger and then tap it, and then you can see what he's he sees. So she does it, and she's like, holy spit. But she doesn't say spit. Um, and then he says it's at the full sensory, so like she can see and feel everything like that. And then, you know, she can adjust it, whatever is like, you know, it's just off the side or do something with your fingers. And she's like, I, I feel kind of sick. And he's like, oh, that's that probably my hangover. He's like, it can be recalibrated. So then in the present at Jimmy's bar and saloon, Burton tells uh, Jasper that he, cause uh, Jasper and Corbell are sitting at a table. So Burton says that me and Mr. Pickett are overdue for discussion. So Jasper gets up, Burton sits in a seat. And Burton says, that uh, he's like, I have a carrot and I have a stick. He's like, do you want the carrot first? He's like, okay. He asks, how much did they promise to make me and my sister dead? Corbell just like looks at him. He's like, I don't know what you're talking about. Burton says, uh, the going rate a few nights ago was $9 million. So if they told you any less than that, they obviously don't think too highly of you. When, and they only offered him a million. Corbell asks, he's like, what are you mixed up in? And Burton's like, nothing that'll encroach on your line of business, I promise. But I can offer you two hundred grand a week to leave us to fudge alone. So he's like, so why don't we shake on it, and I'll be on my way. Pickett looks at his hand. He's like, I'm curious about the stick. Burton nods, and he holds out his other arms, and you can see there's like some scar-like implants on his inner forearms. He's like, do you know what these are? And Corbell's like, yeah, I've heard of them. They messed you up pretty good, and I thank you for your service. Burton asks if you can tell him a story. He's like, the core targets rural towns for haptic recruitment. Kids who grew up together offer ready-made small unit cohesions. Plug uh, Plug the haptics in and you got a unified organism. He's like, speed, intensity, violence of action. And when it got hot enough, he's like, I wasn't even aware of what I was doing. After the war, I was in Quantico. I went to a bar. I saw this guy in a stool. Then I blacked out. When I came to, I was standing over that guy found that I'd beaten him about half an inch shy of death. I'd never even seen him before but a sergeant in my unit he'd gotten jumped by that mother trucker when he was 16 years old. Because of the haptics I had that in me along with a visceral imperative to destroy that son of a bitch um, without even knowing why and Pickett says that is quite a tale. Is there a moral in it because if there is I believe I've missed it. <laughs> I gotta stop with these accent. I don't know if it's annoying or not. Burton leans forward he's like If anything happens to me and my sister and you're behind it, you ought to have your affairs in order because I'm not just me now. I'm all the men I served with. And Pickett just nods. He's like, that's your best stick? And Burton asks, you feel safe here, Mr. Pickett? Pickett's like, you're probably too young to remember, you know, maybe, but this town was a real poop hole once run by the lowest sort of trash. He's like, I changed that pretty much overnight, made it a nice place to live, clean, quiet, It's my town. He's like, so, yeah, I guess I do feel pretty safe here. And then Burton's haptics glow. He, like, points his finger at the glass that Pickett was drinking from. And then, at, like, the top of it just shatters. And, like, a bullet, like, lands in, the, like, the wall across the way. Like, so a ways away, like, across the street or whatever. Connor's sitting next to this other guy, like, lying in the back of a, a pickup truck with a sniper rifle. Um, then he's, you can see he sets a target on Pickett's head. And Burton's like, the next one's in your flipping ear, He's like, that's my fudging stick. So Corbell just like stares at him. And and Burton's like, 200 a week sound good? And he like leans forward. He's like, so it's like, is he going to shake or not? But then the scene changes and then you see Deputy Tommy, he's like picking up some food to go. He turns around and he sees them shaking. So they do shake. They're shaking hands. And then Tommy's like, he looks really, he's either really concerned or he's nosy. But he's probably wondering, he's like why why are they why is Burton doing business with Corbell? So then um Sharice and Daniel talk. So they're the Sharice is like in working for the RI, so she's like some high up and Daniel's supposed to be like a security, uh, her security person. So she talks about like they're like walking up on on like out on top of the building or something like that she's talking about if he knows about how air scrubbers the the, the RI eye belts or something like that you know does he know how to work and he's like they capture carbon from the atmosphere so there must be that has something to do with the future something whatever happened but he's like uh the basic technology you know would be like asking him how a bird flies and then she says that he's taking too much time they can't afford it he's like the stub um, and then she's like, "Yes, yes, you know, whatever." It, it presents unique challenges. Maybe he has too many moving parts. They keep talking about everyone having too many moving parts. Seems that there ought to be a simpler way to kill a girl. And then he's like, "You know, what about their problems in the here and now?" He says, "It appears Alita West went to school with Grace Hogart. They were roommates for a year." And Charisse is like, "Oh, that's distressing. She, was, I was always fond of Grace." Daniel's like, "Well, I can address it if you'd like." And she's like, "No, I will." Um, has he figured out the source of Elita's funding he says they're still trying to untangle that Um, feels like there's like family money or something like that but you know if he had to guess she's like I don't want you to guess I want you to find out for certain then she's like then I want a body count so she reminds him that she can easily eliminate him in any number of ways with the simplest wave of her hand as they're walking the floor in front of them starts to dissolve and you can like see like everything below she's so it's like Again, are they, how is she doing that? Are they not in a real world or what is going on? So she says that she does value him. She wouldn't want him serving the Institute simply out of fear because that's the weakest type of motivation. And then he like starts, she starts walking. He's like, what? He tries to stop her because she's like walking on thin air. And then she's like, they flapped her wings. Daniel talking about the birds. Flynn says that Alita says that she was likely not to exist in 10 years. She's like, what did she mean by that? Wolf pauses and then says that when they find Alita, then she can ask her because he has no idea. Flynn's also sort of like walking separately and they're just like talking in their their headpiece thing, whatever. So Flynn's like, she also called me a polt. She's like, what's that mean? And Wolf's like, that's short for poltergeist. That's how they refer to people from the stub. It's like a ghost here, but not here. And then she sees this robot cop kind of following her. She asks Will if she'd be worried about the police. And he tells her to turn the corner in a hurried manner and he'll approach from the other direction. He calls Ash and he's like, please tell me the peripheral is registered. And she's like, yes, with a few frowned upon augmentations. And he's like, and you couldn't tell me that before I stepped out with it? And he's like, he said that they separated to cover more ground and now a metcoid is following her. And Ash says, uh, "Just catch up to her and, and don't let her talk to the dang thing. Because if if the Met finds out Flynn is from the stub, he's on his own." She's like, "We'll scrub all connection." Then so he catches up with her, and then he like tells he like kind of gives her a kiss on the cheek and he tells her to follow his lead. Uh, and he's like, she, he tells her to ask if, if she can go home when he touches his chin. So he he turns up the, the constable robot thing. It says this peripheral has been moving about the neighborhood in a manner that violates algorithmic predictions by several degrees of certainty. I was dispatched to investigate. So it asks him for his identity. He says his name, and it's like confirmed. And then he calls Flynn Rainy Portis in in the peripheral. She's a citizen of Canada, and he's like, if if it if the robot checks, it should see that he applied for a remote. Uh, visit visa in her name 10 trips Two of which have been used This is the third The Metcoid says That a third visit Was n- neither requested Nor approved He says that Rainy was feeling spontaneous And the robot sternly says Your remote visit is revoked Please surrender the peripheral Immediately for inspection And deconstruction Then he brings up That they Will says that They exited the vehicle In a, a bit of an argument And he'd value The robot's opinion If it wouldn't mind He's like, on Rainey's first two visits, she mentioned how the peripheral didn't really look like her. She wanted to rent him to rent a different model next time she came to London, but what she didn't know is the Perry, I guess that's short for peripheral, the Perry isn't a rental. He owns it. It was modeled on an ex-girlfriend, and it seemed easier to just keep using it, which was lazy of him and wrong because when Rainey arrived this time and found herself in the same Perry, she grew angry said that he must not respect her and he ignored her requests so cavalierly so she jumped out of the car which led them to this moment but here's the thing he says that he thinks he's starting to have feelings for this woman or at least he's feeling the possibility of feelings and he looks at her and he says that he finds her extremely alluring intelligent intriguing intrepid and he's like you know can't you flip and see that and he leans forward to kiss her and you know so they kiss for a bit and then you know he is, he you know he's like holding her face and then he like touches his chin and she's like she asks the constable she's like may i go home now yes ma'am and then ash was, she, she's kind of like monitoring too she shuts flynn out so she's gone it's just like the robot there by itself now um with with wolf and a and cop so the cop advises Wilf to register her visit as soon as possible Flynn comes out of the peripheral. She's in the trailer. She's like dizzy from exiting. You know, she's about to get up, but then, you know, she stumbles back down and she's thinking about the kiss. Charisse is looking at some bees. There's like, you know, the one of bee box things, whatever. Uh, Grace comes up to her, so Charisse is talking about how this is like her favorite place because there's a view and the bees, whatever. She loves the bees and and how ignorant they are. They go about their business so assiduously, unaware how vulnerable they are. And then she talks about Grace's work, the data she's bringing back from the stub that may save them all one day from themselves. Grace says that she's honored to be able to do her work here. And then Charisse is like, do you have friends? And she's like, some. And then Sharice uh, is like, is Alita West one of them? And she's like, I suppose we you know, went to boarding school together. And Sharice says that then you know, you probably know that she was employed in our biodiversity department. And Grace is like, was? Like, was employed? And Sharice asks, how do you think that someone in grains and I forget what it was, would know about their stubs work? And Grace is like, um, She's like, she was curious. So I, it's not as if I shared anything of substance. And Charisse is like, there was a country called Paraguay once before the jackpot. What the heck is a jackpot? This is, you see, these are these little tidbits of future stuff that we don't know what's going on. Um, as so as they're talking, you know, she's saying they had a saying or whatever, but Grace noticed several like bees or hornets are starting to fly on the to the, the windows, the, the glass, the, the structure that they're sitting in because they're like having tea. And Sharice did put some honey in Grace's tea. And you know she's like, I'm, I'm so sorry, whatever. And Sharice and is like, there was a chemical in your tea. As your body processes it, your sweat begins to mimic a firm, a pheromone that um, hornets release. It's gotten our little friends a tad agitated. And she's like, you understand, don't you, that you've left me with no choice. And Grace is like, I have two small children. And and Sharice is like, that's it, exactly. Think of them. Think of the lengths you would go to, to protect them. And she's, like, at the door. She opens the door. The hornets swarm in on Grace. Sharice just smiles and walks out. So she's basically, like, evil. And, again, are they really there? Is Charisse, or Is Grace really dead? Because her work is so important. But they just don't care. Billy Ann and Jasper pull up to her house. And she's like, this is our house. You want to turn off the truck? And he says, I have to drop off you know a bag for, at my uncle's. And she's like, what's in it? He's like, well, I don't know. What is it? And she's like, it better not be drugs. He's like, it's not. He's like, he knows I wouldn't, you know, I don't want to get involved with that. And he's like, plus it's from Forever Fab. So she grabs it. He's like, come on. And she opens it. Cash. It's cash from Burton. Then she's like, I'll get dinner started if you do me a favor and find out what this is all about. And she's like, and she comes back. She's like, and you better not think about taking any he's like, I'm not an idiot. And she like looks at him like side-eyed. And she's like, um, yes, you are. He pulls up this, this um, building. He opens it again and, Like holds a couple stacks in his hand. But I'm pretty sure he puts it back. He closes it back. So it's like a drug-making facility where they're making all the pills or whatever. Goes into Corbell's office. And Corbell asks, was there any trouble getting it? He's like, nope. And he's like, did you peek inside? He's like, no, of course I wouldn't do that. He's like, really? He's like, uh, but I can kind of guess what it is by the feel of it, whatever. He's like, well, what's it feel like? He's like, money. So he opens it, pours it on, on his desk, and he kind of chuckles. He tells Jasper, "Is from the Fisher family. He's like, neighbors of yours, right? And he's like, would you be surprised to hear that they're paying me and planning to keep doing it once a week for the foreseeable future? Jasper's like, uh, I would wonder where all the money was coming from. And Corbell's like, that's the million-dollar question. So he, there's like a stack of hundreds or whatever. He offers it to jasper he's like oh no he's like i couldn't whatever he's like no, no come on take it and insist, come on mm-hmm. so he takes it uh then corbell's like i'm going to teach you a valuable life lesson before you accept cash from anyone always ask what they might want in exchange jasper tries to the money back on table. he's like no no he's like too late now and he's, he's like you take it and jasper starts he's like what do you want me to do he's like find out the answer to that million dollar question then Corbell says that he's a little concerned for the Fishers. They might have gotten into involved in something that's maybe a tad bigger than they can handle. He's like, Remember the mad dogs? That's the sort of wickedness that we're talking about, you know, coming back to our town. The more I know, the better I can look out for people like the Fishers. They seem like nice people. And Jasper's like, they are. And Corbell's like, Well, you wouldn't want anything bad to happen to them, would you? So Felina asks Burton, you know, what's it feel like when he links up with his haptics? And Burton's like, it's hard to describe. And she's like, I, I think I did something similar to it with Wolf. And Burton's like, oh, you better be careful. He's like, it takes training to handle the merge. A person can get lost in it. Two souls coming together as one could feel like love if you didn't know better. It's like haptic drift is what they call it. That's the name of the episode. Is she wondering if she's in love with Wolf? Because he said all that stuff. And, you know, maybe is he feeling the same thing? Cause he, you know, he said he was intrigued by her. She's intelligent and all the stuff like that. And the kiss Flynn goes back in, she's in Le- Lev's living room. Wolf comes or welcomes her back. It's like snowing outside. And she's like, that isn't real. Right. And he's like, no, no. And he like swipes and it's gone. He mentions a clue that Alita left behind. He's just trying to like put himself in her like mindset, whatever, trying to figure out what it was. And Flynn's like, what was a clue? And he says, where snow last fell in London. And Flynn thinks she's like, uh, my mother had a, a painting over her her bureau. It said, Battle of of the Abbey, the spot where Harold fell. And she's like, could Snow be a person? Wolf smiles. He's like, Jon Snow. He's like one of Alita's intellectual heroes, an English doctor. He's like, he discovered how cholera col- is spread or something like that. Then he asked the computer, he's like, where did John Snow die? In London, June 16th, 1958. He's like, uh, more precisely, 18 sackville street they head over there in the car it's a spot where the, the car drove up into like a little you know there's like a brick wall they get out Flynn's like i've arrived it opens up they walk in it's like this old house they go in there like the, the kind of like the living room or whatever things are just shoved, ransacked or whatever she's like looks like you know someone got there before we did then she sees she's like we have something like that back home it's a grandfather clock she's like it's broke too and he's like, what time is your clock set to? She's like, 2.15. Wolf goes, moves the the, the, the hands to 2.15. The clock chimes. This wall panel like rolls up, and there's like double doors there. They open it up, surgery room. And there's like two docks lying on the floor. And she's like, thinks back to the surgery or whatever. He says that their peripherals abandoned for days without a nutrient bath because the, the skin's, the skin's kind of like shriveled a little bit. He's like, ashen, Osian should be able to trace the connections back to their operators, and he like pulls out like some little thing from the back of the head, so it's kind of gross and everything. So Flynn like looks away. She sees a model on the table. It's it's just like a white model. It's so her house. It's got the trailer. There's little little people there. Um, and she's like, Burton? It's like Burton and his buddies. Then Wilf sees a little box. There's like something inside there. And he's like, it's an implant. It's a Alita's, you know, probably. He's like, she must have removed it after the attack so she couldn't be traced. And he's like, we should go. In the main room, she goes reach for the doorknob and starts rattling. Psh, door explodes in, sending him flying back. That guy Daniel's there. He's like, welcome back, Miss Fisher. And Wilford Netherton, is it? wolf tries uh there's a robot with daniel he tries fighting it but then he's not it doesn't go too well flynn charges at daniel and he pulls out that gun he's like remember this shoots her she slams back into the wall she's in pain he's like i know what you're thinking kill me and game over but i assure you the trauma leaves a mark he's like shoots her like like in the gut point range and then like this everything goes black high-pitched ringing wolf manages to grab like he's so the the Robot has like a bar like across his neck, like pinning him down. He's like reaching. There's a scalp on the floor. He reaches it, stabs it in the, in the, the eye. He's able to break free. This distracts Daniel, you know, and Flynn like headbutts him, like hits him a couple times because you know her her body, her peripherals, been augmented. So she hits him. Then she she manages to pick up the gun off the floor. She uses it on him. I think she blasts him like twice. And she's like, what do you want with me, huh? It's like, answer me. And she's like holding it right up to his head. And then uh, the robot is like laying on the ground after it got stabbed. It opens its one eye, and it opens like a communication port to Cherie so she's able to to watch. And you hear Daniel's like, she won't stop until you're dead. He's like, you're only delaying the inevitable. And he's like drawing out the pain. He's like, You took something. And she's like, What? The robot gets up and extends a blade. Flynn ducks, and Daniel gets his throat slashed, and he like falls over. Then Flynn gets up, blasts the robot, and Sharice like grimaces because like she felt some of the blast from being linked, or whatever. She shuts it off, and then she just kind of sits forward, and you can tell she's she's not happy. And that's where the episode ends. So, man, who this Sharice lady. And what the heck is he doing? It's like, what did, I'm, I'm trying to figure, what did uh, Flynn take? I don't know what she took. Because the, the thing did scan her eye when she walked in. I don't know what's going on. But, yeah. So I, I'm enjoying this. I I think, I just think, it, like, all around, like, the cast is great. The, the story is, like, interesting and it's weird. And, yeah, I just, I'm enjoying it. All right, now the main feature is Titans. So DC's Titans, HBO Max's Titan, someone's Titans. Titans uh, is back season four. It's crazy to think that, that we're on season four. I'm trying to think, what was season two about? Cause season three was, oh, season three. All right, so my problem with season three, if you don't remember, <laughs> was the fact that Scarecrow was the main villain. The fact that Scarecrow, like, found out everything, like, Bruce Wayne as Batman you know just like all knowing all the secrets manipulating Jason Todd into spoilers if you haven't watched season three (laughs) but it's just the the other thing that just really got me about Jonathan Crane the way he was being portrayed and everything it's just one of those like like oh he's this goofy villain and oh all of sudden in the middle of the whatever the living room he's in and it's just it just... It, I just didn't really care for... I, I don't care for Scarecrow as a villain. And just the way he was portrayed as this goofy, zany, whatever, but somehow incredibly intelligent. It's just whatever. So this season, so far, has what it has going for it is we don't have Scarecrow or something like that. One of the things that I'm kind of... I don't know if I've kind of missed this, but it feels like Dick Grayson's being overly... What's what's the word I am looking for? Or oh, he's just he's not trying to hide the fact that he's Nightwing. Even I mean, it, it's bad enough he's got this little tiny mask, but he's just he's just going out, whatever, and and talking to whoever, and uh, it just it does. Everyone know has it become public? Do people know about Batman? because wait, did Batman did he come back? Bruce Wayne came back, right? He wasn't dead. I don't know, and and that was that was because that that was my big thing. See, I don't think his identity is public, but my thing with the last season, the way it ended with, you know, capturing Jonathan Crane, I was like, dude, d- 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 he knows all the secrets. You know, he's he's been in the Batcave. He knows this under Wayne Manor and all this like that. And you're just gonna lock him up, but obviously something else happens after that. But yeah, so now I feel like here, like everyone knows. Anyways. Season four, episode one, Lex Luthor. So we get Lex Luthor appearing here. Uh, He—I forget the actor's name. He wasn't was he in Titus or whatever? He does a good job as Lex. The only thing I'm—I'm I'm curious about is the fact that they give him a beard, and I don't know. If it's supposed to make them a little more manly, because if you have someone who's like bald and clean shaven, you know, or do they look more like a kid or like an infant or I, I, I don't know. So it's, it's always interesting because they did the same thing with like you know John, John Crier in the Supergirl series where it's like oh Lex has a beard, but Lex doesn't. The only time he's had a beard when he was he was his Australian illegitimate son or whatever. So, anyways. Uh, Titans are back, and it picks up shortly after last season, which is kind of nice. The Titans are actually bowling, so they're, they're enjoying some time off. And Corey says to Dick, she's like, I can't believe it. She's like, a few days ago, I didn't think we were going to make it. Now we're in a bowling alley. And he tells her that he's, he's like, you seem kind of different. And she's like, well, I feel different. And she says, "You know, with, with the stuff that happened with her sister and, and the power and the throne, and all that, you know, she's she feels like she's free or she's paid off a debt. Unfortunately, Dick gets a call from Bruce. So he, like, goes to take the call. Comes back. He's like, I got news. And then everyone's like, oh, crap. It's like, we just got done with that. He's like, oh, it's not about Gotham. It's about Metropolis. He's like, Bruce made some call. Superman wants to meet Connor. And he's like, I I can't believe it's happening. So he's, like, super excited about this because, you know, he's, like, dying to meet his father. You know, he wants to see see Superman. He wants to meet him. So they're supposed to meet at Star Labs at 9 a.m. So then we see... Three SUVs are driving in the rain to some building or some location, whatever. Lex gets out, and this is where we see he's like, oh, he's got this big beard. Okay. This lady tells him about uh, the Temple of Azeroth is now his. So if you, especially if you watch Teen Titans Go, you know Azeroth, whatever. Anyways, so she's like, the temple's now yours. Uh, when the ritual is done, your power will be greater than than anyone else on Earth. And she's like, him too. So then she, she's like, soon the gods will know your name. And he's like, I could assure you, the gods already know me. It's like, oh, give me a break. It's like, it's not a good opening scene for Lex Luthor. It's like, you're, whatever. Then he tells the lady, he's like, that will be all. And she's like, excuse me? He's like, you may go. So she's like, but Lex, I, and then he, he's like, I'm firing you. And he's like, either this will do its job or it won't. Either way, your work is done. He's like, your contract will be paid in full. And you'll leave this compound and you will never speak about what we've done to, to anyone, ever. So she's like, but this was our dream, our destiny. He's like, No, it was my dream. It was my destiny. So then she's stupidly she's okay. At first I'm like, You're you're talking to Lex Luthor. He's gonna like he's about to like have you killed if, if you don't push it. He doesn't, surprisingly. But she's like, I've devoted over five years of my life to this project. And she's like, There's you know, so much for the world to learn. And he's like, wrong. He's like, the world will never learn. So he tells his men to help her pack her things. And he, then she's like, you're making a mistake. This power comes at a cost. And as she walks away, it's like, someone will have to pay. And Lex is like, someone always does. So then we see this dude, Sebastian. He's talking about he's going to change the world. He's like in a taxidermy shop. And you know, he's talking or like he's practicing his speech you know going over like you know what his sales pitch is going to be he invented something that will give people all over the world hours of happiness and contentment he says that you know this is the one that's going to change everything i was like okay then we see this couple they're watching riverdale <laughs> and they're like eating they're like they haven't even take out and then the dude starts like freaking out he's like watching her eat and she's like what her, her mouth, she's got like, blood on her face, and she's, I don't know what the heck she's eating, but it was pretty gross, and then she, like, drops it. Then she looks back at him, and he's kind of, like, frozen, but it's like, wait, what's going on? Then there's, like, this masked person behind her with, like, this skull, like, big beak, bird, bone-faced, whatever, and he's just frozen, and then all of a sudden, the masked person is gone, is, like, behind her, grabs her, and kind of, like, tears out her throat or something like that, and just sort of, like, screeches or something. It's like, it's like, what what is going on? Then it cuts to Sebastian. He's working on another critter. It's like okay, he's you know doing his taxidermy stuff. Titans are now leaving the bowling alley. And Rachel, uh, she takes one last sip of her shake, and she accidentally knocks it over on the little table. And then the as it's pouring out of the glass, it like turns to the blood. Then we see an animal at the taxidermy place now has blood dripping out of its mouth and eye because like uh, Sebastian was like working on the eye and it accidentally like, popped out whatever. So there's blood um, just starts pouring out. And he, you know, looks up, Sebastian looks up and he kind of like jumps back because he was kind of like caught off guard by this. Guard comes up to Rachel and he's like, are you good? And she, you know, turns back or she looks and the, the shake turned back, back to a shake. So it went from blood to shake. And she's like, yeah, I'm fine. But it's like, uh, shouldn't you like mention at the, the slightest drop of something happening, some weird, I think you should talk to people at by this point so they're headed to metropolis the, the rv you know they're in the, the titans rv which is just a regular rv they, they arrive at star labs you know scientific and technological advanced research Labor- laboratories connor like gets out. he sees a statue of superman and you know you can see the daily planet and lex corridor in the background whatever a couple of star labs people come up to him you know they're very excited for the titans and this dude i think his name is bernard he Tells Dick and Connor, he's like, "I have some bad news." He's like, "Kalel sends his regrets." It's like he was called away in urgent business. So I was like, "Was he really?" He's like, "Come on, Superman." So Connor is bummed, but he's like, "I understand." Then Bernard's like, "Well, he did. Kal-El did leave a note." It's like, "Okay, you have to rush off and do something, but you have a time to to write a note." So he goes read it, and Dick's like, are "You okay?" And he reads it. Connor, I'm sorry I couldn't be there to meet you today, but when I get back. I would very much like to see you and finally get to know you until then, please follow Bernard. He has something to show you. It's what we do. So then they, they, they have, th- I, I don't know like what is the point of star labs or they're being so gracious with everything like that. Cause Gar gets this like wrist, like kind of glove wrist thing that's supposed to help him with his clothes after he changes. So it's, it's not like his clothes rips and then he's naked. He gets a glove thing. And then he seems to be like transported to like a desert or something like that. He's like in a full costume and he's like next to this tree. There's like some stuff hanging off it. And then suddenly he's like back at the lab. Dick is like checking to see if Bernard's okay. The the lab is trash and there's like hazmat guys like putting out fire or whatever. And Gar's like, what happened? And then they look at him, they, like step back and they're like, whoa, whoa, whoa. And Connor like says like, you turned into a gorilla. He's like, what? And then Dick's like and a velociraptor and Tim's like and, and one of those little guys with the with with the shell whatever and, and Connor's like an armadillo and then Dick's like no armadillo and he's like yeah he's like how do you know what armadillo is but he's like he's like I'm really sorry and Dick's like you don't remember anything he says that he started to transform and then Bernard's like has anything like this happened before and he's like no Bernard's like well your your alpha waves fluctuated slightly. He's like, just to be sure, you know, we'll check the suit for possible anomalies before you leave. And so what? I don't know if it has anything to do with the suit. It seems kind of coincidental. As soon as he hits it, trigger it, whatever, this happens. Or is there something else going on with, with Beast Boy? So Bernard takes Connor and Dick to this other lab. And he doesn't even seem bummed. It's like, OK, how much is this going to cost to clean up and fix this lab? And he's just like, whatever. He's like, come on, I want to show you guys something. So they go to this other lab, and he says it, it's dedicated solely to studying uh, his father and his abilities. So Superman, Bernard gives them both glasses, and uh, they they put them on, and, and Dick kind of looks at him for a second because he's and Connor's like what, and he's like nothing. So I don't know if Clark the Clark Kent identity is a secret thing, so you know, he's not going to say anything about it. But when they put these these glasses on, like kind of like the solar system appears around him, like kind of like hologram form or whatever and bernard's like okay look over in this section here he starts counting down then you see kind of like this red streak you know reddish bluish whatever he's like that's him so that's superman he's headed to alpha quadrant blah 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 so whatever like that they predicted the collapse of a red dwarf star near some planet that might hold life so when he gets there they'll try to counteract the effects and he could save an entire galaxy from destruction starfire is, is testing out her powers, because she has different abilities now, since she gave up her powers. I don't understand how that works, but that's what happened. She has these other abilities. She blasts some big rock and then she's like, "Uh, how'd I do, or what like that? So it's something called perithium. It's supposed to be the hardest substance known to man. And the lady asks, she's like, you have any idea what this power is or where it came from? Corey's like, well, apparently I was born with it and I just discovered it last week. So the lady's like, well, the reading's say, you just barely scratch the surface. Like, only 8.1% of your total estimated kinetic output was, was used. So, okay, she used her power. She breaks, like, the hardest substance known to man. And then, like, later, she's, like, blasting people. And it's like, okay, you just shattered this unshatterable rock. But then it doesn't affect a person. I don't know. Tim's with Dick and Bernard comes up. Uh, he says that when Mr. Grayson called, he asked that they design something especially for Tim. He gets excited. He's like, "I knew it." He's like, "The Robin suit, whatever." And he like hugs Dick, and Dick's like, "Uh, he's like, sorry." He's like, "It's not the Robin suit." And he's like, "It's not." And Dick's like, "Are you crazy?" He's like, "You've been a Titan for like five minutes." And he's like, "Oh," I like, "Come on." So Bernard gets a stick, and he's like, "It's a, a Roku Shakubo or something like that." And he like kinda like snaps his wrist and then it extends at both sides. It's a bow (laughs) stuff. So he takes it. He's like, but I don't know how to use one of these. And Dick's like, yet. So he's like, You're gonna teach me? He's like, Yeah, starting tomorrow morning. Then Bernard gives like Tim his card. He's like, in case you ever have any questions, he's like, don't hesitate to ask. So it's like, wait, are they setting up some romance? Because now that Tim is bisexual in the comics, so it's like, hey, why not write him? I don't know if he always was, if there's any hints in the last season. I don't remember. Did they mention him having a boyfriend or anything? I mean, it doesn't matter, but it just seemed like overly, not overly. I mean, it seemed a little forced, but I guess not, whatever. So then uh, as they're heading out, Bernard's like, oh, one more thing. We did a quick retrofit over your recreational vehicle while you were inside. I hope you don't mind. So it's it just like takes the, the their RV and they're like, we're gonna do all this stuff. So it's like all black now. And they you know, like I said, they didn't even ask. So they hit like a key fob thing, and then this compartment opens up and this car like slides out like behind the front tire where you know the driver would sit. And he's like, A gift from Bruce Wayne. He's like, Something about saving Gotham City. And Tim's like, This is ridiculous. Gar's like, Who's driving that thing? And Dick's like, I am. And Corey's like, "Are we allowed to sit in it?" And Dick's like, "You are." He's like, "Everyone else can start a sign-up sheet." But it just seems like this car is taking up a lot of space in an RV. But I guess it's fine. I don't know. On the road, Tim asks Connor to take a picture of him with the bow staff, and he like kind of does a pose or whatever. And Gar's like, "What is this for? A profile?" He's like, "No, it's for that guy." He's like, "You know, Bernard, is the Star Labs dude." And Rachel's like, "Okay, got it." And he's like what he's like they made it for me you know i'd like to say thank you and they're like she's like yeah (laughs) and then uh he Connor stops he's like what's going on he's like your phone just died he's like but i just charged it and then there's like some screens inside of the you know the decked out rv now they start like flickering and stuff like that and you know dick's driving and then you know it's shortened out so then connor bends over in pain there's like this high-pitched noise crypto's like whining too connor this is Lex Luthor. I know this might seem a bit much, but how else was I going to contact you? I'd like to meet in person. Come to LexCorp Tower tonight at 8 p.m. I'll expect to see you then. And this is where, okay, I know Lex Luthor is supposed to be arrogant, and this is probably like on point for him, but it's like you invade, you, know, you make this annoying noise, and who knows what the heck he's doing. You just intrude in his head, and I'll expect to see you. I I want to see you, so I expect that you're going to be there because I'm Lex Luthor. It's like, you're such a dork. So then the noise stops, the RV starts back up, and Connor's like, we have to go back to Metropolis. So Connor talks to Dick and Corey outside. You know, they pull over, or they never started back up. And Dick's like, he's the only man Bruce Wayne was ever afraid of. And Connor's like, well, Superman's not afraid of him. He's like, neither am I. And Dick's like, you should be. He's like, Lex spent the last 40 years trying to kill Superman. He tried to kill you, too. Connor's like, well, he failed. You know, he's just a man. He doesn't have superpowers. And Dick's like, not all of us do, which is like, duh. He says that the whole reason they came to Metropolis was so he could meet one of his, his parents. He's like, okay, so it's not the one I wanted, but am I just supposed to ignore him? Corey's like, well, maybe we should find out what he's up to, you know, if he's up to something, because isn't it better that we know? But she's like, also, it's not our decision, it's Connor's. So we see Lex, he has some dinner and wine. And then all of a sudden, you know, there's, he's got his back to like this hallway. And then like this door busts open. Corey, you know, and he doesn't even flinch or move or anything like that. Corey's like, all these guards are going towards. her. She's like knocking him, you know, punching him and flinging him or everything like that. He just doesn't look. He gets up, gets some more wine. And then, you know, she works her way to him. And she's like, sorry to interrupt your meal. I would have been a message into your head, but this seemed more fun. So Lex like, oh, it's a pleasure to meet you, Starfire. Or may I call you Coriander? She's like, well, you can call me Cory. Lex. And she says his name. And he offers, would you like some sp- spaghetti bowling, bowling geese, whatever, or some wine? And she's like, no, I'm good. <laughs> and he brings up, like, like, oh, what about the changes on Tamaran with the political and And then he talks about her sister not having the powers that she always thought was her own and her throne. And Cory's like, yeah yeah well it's for the best she's like I spent my whole life feeling you know overshadowed less than she looks over, like him over she's like but of course you wouldn't know anything about that would you because obviously that's you know Lex's big thing that he he's jealous of Superman's power so Dick and Tim are listening in so Corey must have like you know some microphone or comment on her Lex's offering he's like oh how would you like a tour because she's like this place is, is pretty amazing so he wants to give her a tour At the Daily Planet, we see someone named Jim is showing Gar, Rachel, and Connor to archives. They're like, oh, normally the public isn't here, but since it's you, so he's going to let them in there. I'm assuming this is Jimmy Olsen. And, okay, there's no red hair and freckles. Jim is black. Does it matter? No. But still, Jimmy Olsen should have red hair and freckles. (laughs) I don't know. I'm, I'm assuming it's him. And then he's talking about like every single issue dated back to the very first day of publication, November 2nd, 1775. He takes them to the Luther section because that's what they wanted. So Connor, here really, we have this, we have, you know, whatever. Then they get to like philanthropy and that, that's what Connor wants to see. She's like, okay, let's go to my office and I'll, you know, load them up or something like that. So then as they, they go over there and then Rachel gets stressed, distracted by something and she's like looking around. Lex gives Corey like some super old whiskey or something like that. And, and he's like, this was found under the house or what? And she's like, yeah, it tastes like it or whatever. So as they're talking, she kind of flicks something like her hand, this little flying, like super thin USB stick flies out. and goes to like Luther's or to Lex's laptop. And then Tim's like, "Oh, it's it's in," and it starts like downloading his his computer files. He's like, "Oh, I can see it. I can see personal, medical, financials, you know, schedules, calendars. I can even see his Twitter account." <laughs> it's like, okay. Lex says that he wants basically he cut, They cut to the chase. So he wants Connor to stay with him here in Metropolis. And Corey chuckles. She's like, "No, no." She's like, "That's that's never gonna happen." Lex is like, "Well, he might. After all, it's his decision." Corey says that he knows that who Lex is, what he is. And Lex like, well, that's exactly the point, you know, that he really, he doesn't. He's like, I want to give him the benefit of his knowledge and his guidance. He wants him to be prepared one day to take over as president of LexCorp. And Corey says that she thinks what he wants is to own the thing he created. He considers Connor his possession, you know, but he's not. He has compassion, moral intelligence, all the stuff that makes him far stronger than Lex. So he wants Connor to be his personal weapon, and she's like, "He'll never be that." And Lex kind of—he's like looking through a telescope. He's like, "Wasn't well, it exactly how you're using him, Richard?" So he's looking at Dick through the telescope. So he knows he's in this like vacant like building that's being you know remodeled or something like that. He's and he's in his Nightwing outfit. So Lex knows their secrets, which okay, whatever. And then he's like, "Hasn't brutes taught you any other way?" And he's like, I'd like you to meet some friends of mine. And he's like, Remember, Richard. This is me being gentle. Then three ninjas come out at them, and they like throw like some throwing stars, and and Nightwing like bats them away with his his, his skrima stick. He's fighting or everything like that. He loses one of his sticks. uh, Tim tries to you know he extends the bow staff, but Nightwing manages to take them all down. And Tim asks, like, he's like, Are you okay? He's like, Yeah, I hate ninjas. And as soon as he says that, more ninjas come. He's like, "Okay." He picks up one of their swords this time, and then Tim tries getting in on the fight. And you know, Nightwing you know, smashes the last one's face against the window, and there's like a big blood streak where like Lexa's watching. And Lexa's like, "Oh, I like those men." And to Dick, he's like, "All I ask is six months. If you believe you know Connor's answer, then you'll have no problem conveying my offer. I expect an answer tonight." <laughs> but it's just like, "Shut up with your I expect this." Jim pulls up a file about the Luther Foundation, you know, opening a dozen hospitals and schools, you know, funded over, like, a billion dollars all over the world, all this stuff like that. And then Gar is like, where's Rachel? He's like, dude, you just noticed now? Rachel is wandering through the archives. She heads to a certain row, and then it starts getting darker, and there's this box on the floor. So she's, like, looking at it, and then blood starts, like, seeping out, and then Gar comes up behind her and, like, startles her. And he's like, "What are you? What are you doing?" And she's like, "I don't know." It's like I think something terrible is about to happen. It's like we need to get out out of there. So she's like, "We shouldn't have come back to Metropolis." So Connor asks, "You know, there's this picture of this guy in a newspaper photo." He's like, "Who is this guy?" He's like in a lot of the photographs. And Jim's like, "You know, I don't, I don't know. I can't find his name anywhere. You know, maybe he works for the foundation." Connor's like, "Well, the bigger question is, why does Lex have a foundation in the first place?" And then you hear, "Because he's dying." what so dick and cory walk in he says lex lex luther has six months to live what are you talking about cory says that he wants him to stay with him and learn how to run LexCorp. and she says that the guy in the computer his name is arthur homewood he's the world's leading expert in kryptonite poisoning so luther was diagnosed two years ago and there's no cure connor says that this changes things and dick says that he thinks lex wants to use him Corey says that Homewood created a theory called radical mass transfusion, and Connor's the closest living genetic match. So Connor's like, "Well, I need to find out, you know, who he is for myself." So Connor heads over. He introduces himself. Uh, Lex Luke looks at Connor. He's wearing like the the black Superman shirt, whatever. Oh, you took his name. She's like, "Whatever." He says that he assumed that he came to Metropolis at his invitation. He's like, "So, how was it?" Connor's like, oh, I didn't meet him. He was away. And Lex is like, oh, that must have been devastating. He's like, I, I hope that I'm not a disappointment. He's like, you know, you're probably wondering why. Connor's like, I'm not. He's like, I don't care. He's like, I'm here because of what I want. And Lex says, oh, putting your own desires first, like father, like son. Mm-hmm. Connor says that he wants him to know that he doesn't consider him his father. He's like, I see. Then he's like, are you dying? And Lex is like, perhaps. Perhaps. Then Connor's like, "Were you hoping to use me as a cure?" So Nat Lex like snaps his fingers like, "Splendid idea!" And he's like, "I already tried." He's like, "I have an ample supply of genetic material it it took to create you, so it follows you know treatment could be found there, but it didn't work." And he's like, "However, I do owe you an apology, you know, for creating you in my image. If people found out, they'd see you as partly you know part Lex, and you know they they love you now, but all it take is one mistake, and then." They'll see you differently. Connor's like, I don't have to listen to this. He starts to leave. Lex is like, no, you don't, but you should because I'm the only person in the world who can truly understand you. He's like, I'm the only one who will never judge you for being what you are. He's like, how could I? He's like, I created you. And Connor's like, why? He's like, you know, he says he created him for one reason to see his dream of becoming Superman come true. But, you know, his dream was that his child would succeed where he did not to be both man and Superman. And he's like, Did I succeed? Then he's like, Well, maybe you should tell me. So he says that he sees what Superman gave him through his actions. You know, everyone does every day, but what he has given him expresses itself more subtly. So he wanted to give him part of himself, not just his DNA. So, you know, Lux stands up. He's like, Connor, he's like, I don't want you to become me. He's like, I've already done that. What I want is for you, with all your gifts, to know me. And with that knowledge, decides for yourself who and what you'll be. Connor's like, yes, I will. He's like, excellent. He says that he has something to share with him, a project that he's been working on. The reason why death may no longer be the foe he once thought it was. He just may need his help. So then we see Sebastian cleaning the floor. There's, you know, all of blood or whatever. Then he starts like violently coughing and vomiting. And then when he like bends over in the bathroom, his like reflection kind of stands up on its own and it kind of like smiles at him. Then at the same time, Lex's eye starts bleeding and he coughs and he, he tries to keep Connor away and he like starts vomiting blood Titans are eating pizza in the RV then Rachel starts like coughing and screaming and blood's pouring out of Lex's mouth a snake, big like python comes out, Connor like pulls it out, it tries like biting him snapping at him and then he uses his heat vision on it and like just fries it Sebastian's reflection is, is like all bloody and everything like that, touches the mirror then suddenly Rachel's fine and she's like what happened? Connor checks on Lex. He's like Lex, Lex, he's dead. Then men come in. Show me your hands. Put them. You know all this. They're all like yelling at Connor because somehow they I don't know if there's some sensor attached to Lex and detected that he's dead. So they come thinking that Connor did something. That lady who worked with Lex, she looks. She's like smugly and she's like, "You see, Mister Luther, someone always pays." And she's she's like staring up at LexCorp Tower, and that's the end of the first episode of the season with episode 402 mother mayhem. So we we see this girl like playing a game on her, her switch in her her bedroom. The game is like glitches a little bit. And then there's like blood on the window. starts like kind of pouring down. Parents are downstairs. They're going to talk about dinner with his mother and stuff like that. And then they notice that there's blood dripping down on their windows too there's this like deep growling behind them. It's kind of like within the, the apartment with that couple. So that, that mask dude is there. And then, then the husband is frozen. So I don't know why this is happening. I don't know who, if who this bone guy mask is supposed to be from the comics. I just, I don't know. So it goes after the mom. She screams. The daughter's like, she's not frozen. She's still awake. So she starts going downstairs. And then she sees like the mom getting dragged away. And the thing like snarls at the girl. So she runs up to her bedroom. She like locks the door. And then it's like, suddenly it's in her room behind her and it grabs her and she screams. Lex is wheeled out of his apartment in a body bag. So Lex is really dead. So one episode, they introduce Lex. He's dead. Connor is getting read his rights and then SWAT dudes come in. They like cuff him or whatever. Then there's like news reports. I wasn't sure who was doing the news report. I don't think it was Lois. It didn't say, but... You know, it talks about him being there. You know, Lex was. Uh, it's Lex said that he was a genetic aberration, a weapon, uh, ca- a combination of Superman and and the late Lex's genetic material. So we see he's put in this kryptonite platform cell. So the the journalist reporter whatever thinks that it's a rush to judgment to think that Superboy, who wears a symbol of hope, is uh, responsible. So she's on his side. Tim sees like the end of the report, and he calls out. He's like Dick. So I guess they were unaware what's going on. Then at the Metropolis Detention Center, so that's where Connor's being held. People are talking about Connor. You know, he's sitting there. He can hear everyone. One's like, "Oh, I'm glad he did it." This lady's like, "I heard it was a he was a genetic experiment." So Dick and Corey are there, and he's like, "I can hear them." You know, people outside. It was like what they're saying about me. He says that he's like, "I didn't kill him. It happened the way I said it. It did." And Dick's like, "I, "I know." They say that they're going to get him out of there. And Connor says that he's never seen anything like that. He's like, he didn't know that kind of power existed. He's like, he was terrified. He's like, no one should die like that. Lex was terrified. And Corey's like, how are they treating you in here? He's like, besides the kryptonite? He's like, like I'm a murderer. Then loudly, like I'm the weapon I was created to be. He's like, Lex was right. All it takes is one mistake and you're a villain. Corey's like, you didn't make a mistake. He's like, you didn't do anything wrong. It's like, they're just holding you until they can figure out what happened. Connor starts to say something, and then an intercom voice is like, you know, your time is up. You're visiting hours, whatever. And the intercom's like, we need to question it. Dick's like, his name is Connor. So as they're walking out, Dick's like angry. He's like, you know, part of me wants to tell him tell Connor to break out of that fudging place. And Corey's like, you need to cool off and everything. It's like we need to find out who did this. She's she says that she'll stay on Connor so he knows that, that he's not alone. And then Dick shows her a picture of herself and she's like, Oh, are you sneaking pictures of me? He's like, No, Lex was. He's like, when Connor got arrested, they he, he did a brute force hack on his personal computer. So he found some of these in an address. And she's like, Why was he watching me? Dick's like, I don't know. He's like, You want to find out? So he says that he's bringing Rachel to Lex's penthouse to see what you know she can find. Corey's like, good magic versus bad magic. Dick's like Bruce never thought there was any difference and he's like based on what Connor saw I'm beginning to understand why so he sends Corey to address to her phone whatever he tells her to be careful she's like yeah 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 it could be a trap he's like what's new so Tim is like walking through the woods with the bow staff and there's like some growling and then Gar sneaks up on him and like scares him so they're, they're supposed to be training then Gar like hears some like female voice call him and he like runs off And Tim's like Wait, where are you going Then he's he's running. He starts feeling dizzy. Then he like roars. He turns green for a second and he passes out. Corey arrives at the address, and on the door there's like this little LexCorp you know sign in the window. She kind of burns the lock open. There's this dude at a computer, and you know there's a few pictures of Corey on the screen, and he's like trying to find. He's trying to do something on a computer, but it keeps like beeping like access denied. So I don't know if he's trying to log in or delete. I don't know. So she like, surprises him, and then she starts getting a little rough. Like, it was like, what are you doing here? You must know something. Or So the guy says his name is Nelson Blake, and she's like, I didn't ask that. And she's like, you're telling me what's going on. Speak. He's like, it wasn't just Luther. He's like, the whole LexCorp inner circle died last night, You're choking on their own blood. He's like, I'm the only one still alive. So he says he came there looking for answers. He's, he doesn't know why Luther was researching her. And maybe that he thought that she could help him. And she's like, help with what? And she's getting rough again, you know, when he won't answer. So he, he says, you know, Luther's illness changed him. He withdrew. None of us had any personal contact with him for over a year. And it was rumored that he got caught up in the occult. That, you know, he just stopped fighting the, the, the disease and started fighting death itself. So he had like different sorts of advisors, he had, like doctors, healers, even some archaeologist woman. <laughs> which just seems like such a weird thing to say. But we know, obviously, she's playing a role in this. Then Nelson starts hearing some chanting, whatever. He starts choking, and then there's, like, blood from his mouth. The snake comes out. Corey blasts it, and it, like, burns up. So it's, like, the fact that these other people were killed the same way, that should clear Connor. I don't even know why they think that he had anything to do with it just because he was there. And you would think, wouldn't Lex have, like, security cameras all over his apartment, whatever, because he's such a weirdo and a freak? Dick and Rachel are at the penthouse. They like you know, sneak in. He notices that they cleaned the crime scene. He's, so he's like, whatever happened here, they want to hide it. She says, well, well they can't hide it for me. So she, she gets some flashes and she's like, Connor was right. Someone used magic. And she's like, you know, all magic leaves a trace. So she can sense where he died. And, you know, she puts her hand on the floor and like some of her purple light stuff oozes out. Then she's standing on a street in front of this house. And it's like snowing and Dick like Rachel, you know, because she was like out of it. She's like, I don't know who did it, but I know where they've been. So Tim finds, you know, runs out in the woods. He finds Gar lying on the ground and then he gets up. He's like, It was in my head. And he's like looking around, confused. Tim's like, You know, talking about the voices. Tim's like, What did the voices say? He's like, oh, I'm not sure. Then Tim gets a, a, a text. So Dick wants to meet him and Rachel and Gar is just like staring off, like, What's going on? Sebastian visits his mom at a senior like residence place and as she starts like watching tv he's like trying to talk to her he says he's close with his interactive thing he's close to getting the funding the titans walk up to the house dick opens the door and they just like walk in mr sandman's like playing rachel looks at this picture of the family so it's a couple with a daughter from the beginning she senses loss and dick turns off the radio they see a bloody apple on the floor and Rachel finds a mom in the kitchen. So Tim's like, oh, my God. He's, like, kind of freaking out. So says, like, why don't you guys go watch the front door? They hear a noise upstairs and, like, a, like a door closes like that. And, like, the girl shrieking. So the girl is, like, in shock against the wall. She's just, like, you know, sitting there. Like, her eyes are closed. So Rachel's like, she's in a nightmare. So Dick's like, oh, I'm going to go call the paramedics. And she's like, no. She's like, I can help her. So she, like, closes her eyes and goes into the girl's nightmare and it's like this dark industrial like warehouse type of place and then rachel sees a girl just like sitting on the floor like with her back to her so she goes up to her and kind of like startles her and rachel's like like my name is raven what's yours and she's like aria rachel's like i'm gonna get you out of here and then they they hear some noises and she's like it's him the bone-faced man so rachel's like i won't let him hurt you and she gets aria to stand up but then the dude is not where they saw him he grabs Rachel from behind. Arya, like, screams, and she's screaming in, in her bedroom, too, like, in in real in reality. The bone-faced dude, like, has Rachel pinned against the wall, and she yells, she's like, who are you? It's just, like, snarling at her. She's, like, trying to pull the mask off, whatever, but it's, like, choking her. And, you know, she used her power, like, shove him back, and it pulls out this knife, and then Rachel, like, runs to Arya, wraps her up, and they leave. And she says that, she's like, the man who killed Luther or that that was the man or something like that she didn't see his face um and he's not far and tim's like uh that sound he's like i never heard anything like it and gar's like i have he's like that's the sound of animals dying so somehow they heard something i guess Corey tells connor that luther had files on her and she says that part of her feels violated knowing that he's watching her connor's like if she wants a window into luther's mind part of him knows how he thinks so he's like Lex was dying and dying men are careful with their time. So it sounds like he invested a lot of time into Corey. So he would never invest anything without expecting a return. So, you know, then he talks some more about some stuff like that. And then her visiting time is up. So she starts to leave. But Connor says that, you know, she didn't find Lex's secret. Maybe she found him searching for hers. So then we see Sebastian. He's like in this beating business meeting with meeting, you know, talking to some people. He says, like, the rotation rate will exceed expectation as the game continues. It'll get progressively more difficult. He's like, think Tetris, but on an infinitely larger scale with your fiscal support, of course. They don't look too impressed. And then he says that the world's a brutal place. You know, it's cruel. People are all smashed up against each other. He's like, we don't share anything. We're all so alone. Then this lady says, she, you know, you can see on the screen, there's like some images of it. She's like, it just looks like you're moving shapes around a screen. He's like, you know, or she's like, it's not directly competitive. He's like, no, it's it's not. He's like, the goal is, you know, not to foster competition amongst gamers. It's to build community. So then, you know, they try saying some positive things, like, oh yeah, you know, it looks kind of you know, interesting and promising, or whatever. But they're like, uh, you know, he says that he's going to change the world, and he just needs her help. And this lady's like, oh, I'm sure you will. It's just not a good fit for us at this time. And she gets up and she goes like to some food cart and grabs like a croissant like that. But then as she's like chopping, it, it's like it, it changes to like this bloody thing and she's got like blood all over her face. The others start like bleeding from their, their just have blood under their heads and they don't like realize it. Sebastian's like he sees all the stuff and he just grabs the stuff and rushes off. And like they're, they're kind of making jokes and they're like, oh, maybe he went off to save the world. The Titans go into this building, it's like a slaughterhouse. And Rachel, she's like, he's near. So the place is like dark. It's dilapidated, of course. They find like five bodies hanging, and he's like collecting their blood. They're like hoses, and like they're being drained of their blood. And a Nightwing recognizes Arya's father, so he's alive, but you know he's hooked up to this thing. And Gar notices other guys alive too, so it looks like they're all alive, just having their blood drained out of them. Then Rachel's walking out around, and she's like, "Come out, come out, wherever you are." So then the he jumps down shoves her it's just a bone guy he ch- tries going on top of her and she's using her her powers and she's like holding him in the air. she's like who are you she manages to pull his mask off but then he like bursts into flames and she says that he, you know when the other comes she's like he dat, did that to himself then the, the echoing stopped and everything like that so she thought she felt something or someone and the mask is just like on the ground it's like smoking so they didn't get to see like what was what was underneath the mask sebastian he goes over to see his mom and she's not in her room you know the sheets are like off the bed and there's glasses on top of the tv this woman nurse comes in she's like oh you're the son yes he's like we tried calling you and she's like oh i'm sorry and then uh you see like the archaeologist woman she's like outside the room and she smiles and sebastian is like ah! he just like screams so his mom died and he didn't even realize it dick goes to the hospital aria's sitting in a room with her dad her so her dad's like unconscious whatever and dick's like oh the doctor say your dad will be fine he just needs time to rest and she's like no one will you know she's like my mom she's like no one will tell me what happened to her she's like but i saw her she's like i know what happened then he's like i lost both my parents when i was about your age it's like dude what way to turn it all about you it's like she's trying to you know deal with all this crazy stuff so he's like, you know, what I remember is how cold everything felt. No matter what I did, you know, to, to get warm, I couldn't. He's like, then a strong man wrapped his jacket around me. He's like, this jacket that he's wearing. And he's like, time will make things better. You know, it it, it did. Then he puts a jacket around her. And she asks about Rachel. He's like, she used magic like the Nightmare Man? And Dick's like, no, nothing like him. He's like, you know, there's good magic and there's bad magic. He does like, he grabs his like cough drop or candy or whatever on the table. He does like a thing, whatever, he disappears out of his hand, he pulls it out of her ear, whatever, and gives it to her. She's like, Good magic always wins. And you know, so she has a candy and he's like, Why don't you keep the jacket? And he leaves. So now the news says Connor Kent, also known as Superboy, has been exonerated for any responsibility in the death of Alexander Luther Junior. So it's weird that, you know, he's going by Connor Kent, which is too close to clark kent but maybe they fear it's just a coincidence but it might be like oh clark kent's a reporter and this superboy is kent is there any relation or just coincidence whatever so they're like while mr kent was in custody for a crime he did not commit lexcore has evaded all inquiry into the circumstances around luther's death a death that was an apparent homicide still without official definition so did Dick says to Connor, like, they know who killed Lex Luthor. Like, everyone knows Connor's innocent now. So Arthur, Arthur Homewood, Lex's personal personal physician, promised a lot more than he could cure. So Dick says Lex trusted a madman. So whatever power Luthor was buying, looks like Dr. Homewood wanted to keep it for himself. Connor says that he knew what people said about Lex and what he did t- uh, to him You know, when he tried killing him or whatever. And you know, he's looking at the photos of people who had the blood draining out of them at that slaughterhouse. He's like, I never thought he was capable of this. And Dick's like, you're not him, Connor. He's like, no matter how much he wanted you to be. And Connor's like, I never want to come back to Metropolis again. But it's like, what if Superman's like, hey, come to Metropolis? And he's going to be like, nope. So now they're driving in the RV. Uh, some, you know, they're playing Uno in the back. Dick's driving. Corey's in the passenger seat she's commenting, she's like, oh, you know, death stroke and Jason, one thing, he's like, but with that warehouse, and Dick's like, he's saying that when, when stuff like that stops getting to you, that's when it's a problem, because, you know, she's just thought it was, like, really gruesome and unexpected, whatever. Then Rachel gets a flash, and she's like, we're not alone, and the road ahead, there's, like, this black cloud with, like, red electrical lightning shooting out, whatever. Then there's this lady with a staff standing in the road, and Rachel's like, she killed Lex. It's not over until we stop her. So Corey's like, then let's finish this. Dick's like, suit up. So the lady, it's Mother Mayhem, the archaeologist lady. She like beckons him to come over. And Connor's like, he like stupidly jumps up. And he's like coming at her. He's like shooting laser beams, just like destroying the road. She zaps him with her staff and then sends him flying like through a van into a car windshield. But what was weird is, you know, there's traffic behind him because, you know, everything stopped the the car like connor hits the windshield but there's no one in the the car like no one's driving even though like the headlights are on so maybe someone just ran out left their car there Uh, i don't know so then rachel like runs up on top on top of the car she like shoots out her purple black smoke tendrils at her she blocks him with her staff dick tim gar and Corey they move forward Rachel, like, suddenly passes out, so I don't know if, if the staff, like, sucked her energy or did something to her. Nightwing starts attacking with with his Scrimmage sticks, and she's blocking them, so it's like, where do you get all this power and ability from? She, like, kind of freezes him, like, flips him up and, like, knocks him down. She's about to zap him with the staff, and Beast Boy walks up. She blasts him, but the blast also, like, kind of conduct goes through, like, the car, and it zaps Tim, too, because he had his hand on the car, and then Corey's like fighting through it and she starts like shooting the blue energy at her the two energies are doing the, the classic like like hitting each other just like blocking each other and then and they all go flying back dick gets up he checks on Corey. tim calls gar to because you know rachel there they they're looking at he's like holding her then her red crystal it like glows and then it goes out and then it's, it disappears and her hair turned from like blue whatever color it was to white like what happened to her so then we see Mother Mayhem. So some I don't know how she got there, but she's back at the temple, and there's like other people there, and then she's like azerath Metrion Zinthos, and then they all start like chanting it like over and over again. azerath Metrion Zinthos, and then she puts she goes up to like on this like up stage platform, and she like puts a staff in this thing, and then it starts light starts glowing. Last scene is we see Sebastian sitting at his place. He's just like. Just sitting there is thinking, probably like you know, he didn't get the the his sales pitch didn't work, his mom's dead, he's just whatever. Then he starts hearing the chanting. And he has like coffee in front of him, it starts kinda of, like bubbling up and it overflows with blood. And that's where it ends. So, what's gonna if you know you know who Sebastian is, if if you've seen the casting or whatever, so we'll have to see how he gets pulled into what Mother Mayhem's doing and everything. So that was it. So interesting, you know. Like I said, I, I enjoyed those. Uh, it was b- better than the scarecrow stuff. That's all I'll say. And that is all I'm going to say this week, because that is going to be another episode of the Random Podcast from Heck. Big thanks to Dave McPhail and Andrew Loken. They are big supporters. You can be a supporter. By going to patreon.com slash heck. any amount you can commit to will be awesome. If you commit at the Rick Jones tier or higher, you get access to the secret podcast from Heck, which is an additional 30 minutes of podcast entertainment every single week. And I'm back at 19, the 80s, Fantastic Four, John Byrne, 1984. So you can hear about that. I'll probably do a movie soon. Have to you know, figure out which one I'll do. I have a couple in mind. But if you can't commit to monthly commitment, you can also help out by going to coffee.com slash G-Man from Heck and you can buy me a virtual cup of coffee or five. And that is ko-fi.com slash G-Man from Heck. Alright, so next week we finally have another Marvel movie. Now, apparently some people aren't like you know, into the superhero movies or because Quentin Tarantino is talking about it like, oh, I can't wait till they you know, people start stop, stop watching. It's like, dude, whatever. People, that's what they want and sorry it's like make good movies and it's it's not you know other movies are doing well too so it when people make these comments it just sounds like they're just jealous of the success and you know people will watch the superhero movies because they like that but you have other movies that people will watch and talk you know talk about as well just you make good stuff so anyways next week we have wakanda forever so i i'm i don't know what i expect from this know i i'm sure i'm gonna love it but i'm not like super excited for it uh you know maybe it's just because of chadwick boseman but it'll be i and the fact that you know it's it's it sucks you know that he's no longer with us but the fact that they're also getting rid of t'challa we'll see i'm sure i i'm gonna be like okay they made the right call but we'll we'll see so you can um, hear about that, and then it'll be more peripheral, more t- another episode of Titans, so hopefully just one per week. Another Star Wars Endor, uh, another Stargirl, another Chucky. and uh, I don't know if that's it. Like So at this point, since I ha- haven't talked about Tales of the Jedi, I don't know if it would still be worth it if I can get the time, or I don't know if anything else is popping up. But we'll see. So we just play it by ear see how it goes but i hope you are doing well hope everything is going smoothly and everything cool things are happening hope you're doing fine and i hope you remember to be good to each other